if you were to talk directly to the to the kids at Columbine or the people in that community, what what would what would you say to them if they were here right now? I wouldn't say a single word to them. I would listen to what they have to say, and that's what no one did. Red, you ready to union go? Union time. Oh, we're on the union. All right. <laughs> Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Fascinated with Films. You didn't know I was running, did you? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> How is everybody? Doing I'm good. Doing good. Anything interesting happened in this last week? I know we had a lot of interesting stuff happen in the, the news. We lost a lot of great actors. Or yeah, like we did. three. Yeah. It's that three thing, man, that it always seems to happen. Because probably, first we lost... It's not three. There's yeah. always more. No, yeah, well, only three people died last week <laughs> in the entire world. Well, three super famous people for sure. Peggy Lipton died, which is super sad. I loved Peggy Lipton. Do you know who that is? I do. She, because you're not a Twin Peaks fan. Twin Peaks probably, and that, that will was always be the something. She, That's where I'll always go. But a lot of people know her from the Mod She was squad. Big Ed's. Okay. She was she in was love so with Big Ed. Beautiful man. She had those really great, like uh, sexy, sultry eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was one of the waitresses in that. that no, she was the owner. Of the she was the owner of the double R. Right. And, and then what's her name? Um, Leo's girlfriend worked. Yeah, Heather Shelley. Graham. And Shelley worked and for. Then, yeah, uh, Machem Amick, I think is her name. And uh, she went. And, uh, she was great. And then we lost Doris Day. And uh, yeah. I watched uh, the man who uh, wasn't there, or the man who knew too much. That's what it was—the Alfred Hitchcock movie where she did that. Uh, K Sarah Sarah. Yeah, that's where that she almost. Song got it famous. was funny. I was I heard a little documentary about her, just like Pillow Talk. Blur was a big one with her. But she, she's famous for her singing. Yeah. And she never wanted to be a singer. Yep. She got in a car accident or something and broke her leg as she was trying to become a dancer. Really? Oh, wow. And so someone had her come sing something, and she had discovered she had a beautiful voice, but she never wanted to be a singer. Great actress, too. She did yeah. a lot of that stuff with Rock Hudson, and uh, then became a huge Who animal Who was the girl from Arsenic and Old Lace? The, uh, the daughter. The, the main the, girl? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if she's ever super famous. Yeah, I don't know who that was. I love that movie. And then we lost... <laughs> we haven't uh, talked yeah. about that movie. I, we lost one of the funniest human beings oh, yeah, ever yeah. is Tim Conway. True sure, buddy. Dorfon yeah. Golf. Golf. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he is so hilarious. They've been playing. I've been loving uh, the clips people have been playing because they've been the two major clips that people always pull up with Tim Conway is one of the ones where Harvey Corman apparently uh, pissed himself because he that was and uh, Carol Burnett said it the best. He says Tim Conway's meaning on earth is to make is to give Harvey Corman hell and make him laugh. <laughs> and it's so funny if you pull all those clips off it. Harvey cannot keep a straight face. It's like, it's like watching uh, Will Ferrell those and some uh, of Jimmy best. Fallon. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. Jimmy Fallon could not keep Ever. laughing when Ever. Will Ferrell was on. Yeah. It was the same exact thing. And they used to do that comparison between them. Gotta have more cowbell. But there's a, great, there's a great scene. <laughs> the two clips they've been showing with Tim Conway, one of them is where uh, he's a new dentist who's like uh, working on Harvey Corman who's in the, uh, in the chair. Pull up Tim Conway dentist and it's hilarious. He accidentally... He, he's reading the how to be a dentist as he's <laughs> and he's he's reading the novocaine he's like he's like grasp the needle firmly and he goes down and the needle oh. goes right in the palm of his hand so his, his hand goes dead and then he grabs it and he accidentally hits his leg oh, so now God. he can't lose his leg and his arm and yeah. he's like slapping flies and stuff and harvey's losing it and there's another one where he's trying to make uh Vicki Lawrence, Carol Burnett, and Dick Van Dyke was on the show uh, at that moment. And he was talking about elephants, uh, Siamese elephants who were joined at the trunk. And they could not, <laughs> uh, they, they were losing it. And at some point, they actually fell out of the chair, out of chair and on the uh, ground. It was so funny, man. So, the show was a shame. Good. Yeah. I love that. We, we grew up watching that yeah. uh, uh, in like. It was a whole like trifecta of shows because it was Mama's Family. 
Yeah, Mama's was, Family was kind of an offshoot that came off of that. And I was, me and my wife were both huge Mama's Family and Vicki Lawrence uh, fans. And Vicki Lawrence still looks fabulous. And uh, Carl Burnett's still alive uh, kicking. So it's great. You know, uh, Tim Conway, though, he, he went on to do a lot of uh, SpongeBob. He was like a major voice really? in SpongeBob. I liked huh. SpongeBob for yeah. a while. I'm, you probably know his character, but I'm not sure who it was. It wasn't one of the top five, I think. But mm. yes, we Dang. lost them. That was sad. That one guy is Mr. Krabs yeah. from Shawshank. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's great in that. The uh, the other major thing, you've heard of this bullshit with uh, Game of Thrones? These uh, I didn't. Oh, the I know nothing petition about. to the get petition? them to, to rewrite, to re-write season rewrite, eight? To rewrite the season that's already aired? That's so fucking hysterical. Uh, I said people got a little crazy after the Sonic that, the Hedgehog thing, Is that because thing, one of their favorite characters so. got killed or something? Well, but, yeah, basically, but the problem well, it's is... it's over, but, isn't it? No, it's got one episode left this Sunday, so they don't even know the last episode. And they're, they're saying you pissed off. rewrite and the I'm entire you, the, season. Well, they're probably saying that because they want to see more too. Well, the problem is, is there were only books to season six, and from season in, in this eight seasons, so yeah. seven and eight were written by David Beninoff and the other guy, HBO writers, awesome writers, incredible writers, yeah. who are doing a fabulous job. Like I told you, uh, like. The two episodes ago, it's one of the best you episodes like I ever sh- showed on television? TV. And this last episode, well, the last episode, people are pissed, and I don't want to give any I any major spoilers. Any spoilers yeah, yeah. But the uh, that Mother of Dragons takes like a left turn oh, really? and is like turns almost evil, evil. And uh, what makes me laugh is is like I think there was like fifteen hundred people that named their babies oh. after her. Oh and she, wow! And she's now the. Instead of the mother of dragons, she's like the mother of killing women and children. Yeah. <laughs> so they have their like child named after her now, and I think that's hilarious. That is funny. But do you know how many signatures they have that up to now? It was 17,000 when no, I saw yesterday. No, it was 350,000 now. That's ridiculous, It's so stupid, man. man. But I think but you're right. Would, I think it's that Sonic be silly the Hedgehog. They're laughing at Who wouldn't that be now? silly and just put their name on that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's just ridiculous. It, it'd be different if it was like not even out yet, or yeah. if they heard rumors about something that was going to happen. And you said it's It's good. air, dude. But are you yeah, going to say, you know that shit? Forget about just it. Just forget about it. Yeah, we're yeah. just going to completely... We're gonna just go, kidding. Just we're going to go Terminator 3 with it. And, but, we're just gonna and it's weird because ignore. what's happening with the characters are completely what those characters would be doing from yeah. season one. It's the arc that you would imagine it being. Yeah. So... I thought when I watched that last episode, I said, oh, man, people are going to love this. And then when I saw it, I was like, people are pissed? I yeah. said, I don't get that. This is completely how it should be. And I <laughs> It isn't because they didn't like the episode. It's because it didn't turn out awesome the way episode. they wanted it to do. Those right, last yeah. two episodes have been phenomenal. I don't know how they're going to do this final episode, but, man, those last two episodes, some of the best The last TV episode I watched was that one dude that, that touched that creature and then he got that skin. Yeah, yeah, skin. Yeah. How far back am I? Not, not too far. One I mean, season? you're only one, one and a half. Maybe like the something rest of like that, that season plus another one. Yeah, something like that. It's totally worth watching because what, I'm telling what is you, it on? Last it's on HBO. HBO. Yeah, get the app. I got the code, man. Don't yeah. say that. No, 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 man. They allow you three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Dave lives in my about. house. I'm allowed three. <laughs> <laughs> I do. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> but yeah, I'm hoping that everyone enjoyed the uh, last episode, which was character actresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, another great batch of uh, ladies. Uh, that uh, we enjoyed talking about. Today, we're talking about Dave's favorite subject. Yeah, 87 pods <laughs> later. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I was promised yeah. when I did this thing that we were doing the this. top 10, 20 <laughs> of most. <laughs> I guarantee you. I swear, we'll do it. 
Yes, this is documentary films, man. And there's, I, I love documentary films. Probably not apparently as much not. As, uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. Hey, man, someone's well, got to be number seventy. Uh, yeah, I, I like no, it. It's like I'd say it's probably yeah, it's like, my eighty-eight favorite <laughs> genre. <laughs> <laughs> you did pets before. <laughs> we have not done pets yet. <laughs> that is soon. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so yeah, documentary films, man. People forget about it, but it's always one of those ones that if I hear it wins the Oscar, I gotta watch it, man, because you know it's got to be something good. I love learning something when I'm watching something very engaging, and uh, that's what all these do, and that's why I kind of stayed away from watching like what's on Justin's list. I I know three of the five on Dave's list, but I love hearing people kind of talk about it, and it's not really a spoiler thing, too, because it's all about... Even if you know what it's about, you want to hear the details of course. and how that kind of got to that way. So we really don't have to worry about spoilers in this episode, which is good. Good, because I wasn't going to. <laughs> I, uh, literally, documentaries... It's how it's told. Documentaries you know? are my favorite. I For every movie that I watch, watch documentary, like I probably watch 10 yeah. television oh, wow. documentaries. And is it... Is and it the subject matter or is it the way it's told that really engages you? I just because I love can, true I can, stories. I, I know. I feel so much more when it's true yeah. than when it's not. Yeah. I, it's the reason why my second favorite genre of movies are movies based on true stories. Yeah. You know, the more true it is in real life, the more fascinated, especially if it's, it's more out engaged. There. Yeah, more engaged. It. I mean, that's, don't get me wrong. I love. You know, well, I feel movies, that way but. with like the subject matter is almost secondary to me if it's told well and it's very engaging yeah. because uh, I, like it's a documentary style, but it's uh, on that Netflix, that Toys That Made Us. I would never in a million years. I have no interest in any way whatsoever in Hello Kitty, but that like hour long documentary about it where they show how it's made is fucking amazing. <laughs> I was like, I'd watch that all day long, man. It's one so of my, funny. One of my favorite documentary style things ever is Drunk History. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen that? Oh yeah, drunk history. Oh, my God. oh, oh drunk history is Dude, absolutely. It's really funny. The man. way that they like and tell it, the story. It's very yeah. factually accurate. Absolutely, too. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, it's so much fun. Like that is probably my favorite way to learn. The one with Kyle yeah. Kinane, and, and it will, it will, it will make you learn. Yeah. One with Kyle Kinane is super funny. I, I haven't seen that. One. Yeah, I need yeah. to go just through and just. It's just fun just to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's great, man. My favorite one that didn't have on here was. It was a one-man play about uh, somebody wrote about their entire experience while at Auschwitz. Oh, wow. And this one guy acted the play, one-man play, just... As everyone? In Auschwitz. He went there. They filmed it. Holy fuck. So he walked between the showers and said... That's crazy. We're here. We're packed in. Oh, my God. People in front of us are scared and crying. Like, it went through the... it was a subject matter that when I'm clicked on it, like yeah, you yeah, said, yeah, I was like, yeah. man, I don't, I don't know if I can watch an hour and a half. It's like I haven't, yeah. I haven't watched the Michael Jackson one yet because of that I can't very watch reason. That one, man. I, yeah. I can't. Yeah, yeah, I would never listen to his music again. But I, right now, it's this hard Holocaust one, it was a one man act that, and literally, it was just him in a room, and they did Crazy. some weird thing with lights and stuff. Mm-hmm. Nobody else is in it, and heartbreaking the stuff he was talking about. I'm but sure. it was delivered so well mm-hmm. and done so well. Did well, you see great. that? Uh, the, I, I'm not sure exactly when it was, but it was recently. There was um, like six minutes of silence um, in Israel, I think no, it I was. Remember. Dude, literally ev- everything stopped for like six minutes. Wow. People on the highway pulled over. People at stores you know, stopped. There's one person who didn't no, get, it, well, get the word. That, well, it was for the Holocaust? Holocaust? Yeah, it was in remembrance yeah. of the Holocaust. When, and so somebody, yeah. somebody went through... 90. 
how many years? Yeah, oh, I'm not. Sh- yeah. I'm not sure. Um, but somebody went through and like was walking through like different mm-hmm. places with their phone while people were standing there, and I mean, it looked amazingly crazy. It was like you were walking through a wax museum of just the world. Like it was crazy though. Like super cool. Man, I haven't watched it yet. Not the Holocaust. The video. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the uh, what I've heard this week is that. Uh, and there's another reason to get HBO. That Chernobyl miniseries is supposed to be unbelievable. I, People are saying like it's like the best miniseries ever made. It's so amazing. I wrote myself a note about that recently, yeah. but I couldn't remember why. So I'm and, sh- HBO. It's they're any, doing it every week. So there's only two episodes out right now. Any disaster one? Yeah, my my girl is interested <laughs> in that totally too. Not. She's a there's she's a disaster, I saw kind of. and not to get too far off what we're doing already, but I saw one that was about that. Remember that tsunami in Jakarta? That killed yeah, yeah, yeah. A ton they, of the people. one they made the movie with uh, Ewan McGregor, I think. No, and, uh, it wasn't. This was a documentary oh, that about been that. In, uh, yeah. But what the documentary filmmaker did is he got people to give him home movies from like minutes before it oh, happened wow. at the three different places, oh, okay. and then kind of in them cut. It. And you have people asking like, like it's super sunny outside, everybody's at the beach. They're like the water just disappeared. The water got sucked out. Yeah. For miles. Yeah. Like they were on this yeah. beach with water, and the water was gone, and everybody's like, "Huh, what's this?" Start and then you running. hear alarms. And it's like, oh, here it comes. And within a minute and a half, Boom. if you weren't on a structure, you were gone. And wow. That was like that quick. Yeah. It's crazy how the way things are with uh, smartphones now that there's always somebody recording something. Yeah. So it just makes documentaries that much better because yeah. you know people have footage of it. Of course. And every time I hear something happening on the news and everything, I'm like, you know this footage of it. Yeah. There's, if a plane goes down or you hear about the helicopter that just went down in the Hudson yesterday. No. Uh, it, Sure as shit, someone's got their uh, phone and boom, 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 slams into the Hudson, and it. I guess they Survive. there's these things that uh, inflate on the oh, bottom yeah. mm-hmm. of the thing yeah. once it happens, but it tipped over, and he got out though, and then you just see him on the top of the plane getting rescued. He was only the person in the plane, so oh, he got nice. lucky as shit. Plane or helicopter? Helicopter. Oh sorry. wow! Uh, but it was flipped upside Hudson, down, so you couldn't even tell. Hudson gets a lot of. Both. I know, right? No, that's yeah. why it brought back the Sully thing, and yeah. like, was like <coughs> Sully's like. Pussy. Yeah. yeah, right. I would have landed it. <laughs> <laughs> They're still using my plane. They just dried it off. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? <laughs> well, all those documentaries went to talking about them. We got we got special uh, fifteen documentaries here that's going to enlighten and uh, teach us something right. new. I love it. Every one of these has different subject matter. I'm sure there is no du- uh, duplicates of subject matter on any of these. So yeah. it should be interesting. I say we start right off. We All right. So uh, I got to give a shout out to my brother on this one who helped me with this list. He, woop, is, woop. he is like my Obi-Wan Kenobi when it comes to finding really good. We'll and, determine and, that. Yeah. We <laughs> yeah. what movies you got. So we'll, we'll go right it. in. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go right in. And this one, man, this is just, I can't believe this. This one takes place right here in Archer. Um, Dan, now, now let me ask you a question. Yeah. Was your brother part of this? Movie? <laughs> <laughs> Why he knows so much? About no, it? but it's interesting. Some of the, <laughs> some of the people that are in it, I know. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, do I do I currently live in the city? You that do. This actually. movie takes place in. You do actually. I think you're either going to be freaked is. out or impressed. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, so this is called the Legend of Cocaine Island. The yep. Legend of Cocaine Island. Yeah. Do we have yeah. a cocaine island here? So <laughs> there's an airfield, grass airfield. Uh huh. I think figures into the somehow uh, airport here. It's listed as an airport. Uh huh. A lot of little tiny planes take. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Um. So basically, this starts the the story. 
starts, it's about this one family, um, and he's in construction, and he, his his office is right down the street. It's I've crazy. passed it 10,000 times. Wow. Um, you said and, the town, right? Archer, Florida. Archer, Florida, yeah. Um, and they used to live in this nice neighborhood, like, in Gainesville. Um, and he was in construction. They were doing really, really well. 2008 came. Construction took a dump. They didn't save his money. Yeah. So... I have Boom to it again, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, big time, and I can't stand it, dude. Parker Road is oh, disappearing. Man. The whole town, um, my girl hates it. Yeah, no, it's it's giving. You would me think headache. my girl hates Gainesville the way she talks about like Celebration Point and all that. Yeah, <laughs> Why don't um, you guys move outside? Yeah, oh, for real. Yeah. Uh, Twenty years, it'll be the same thing. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so. 2008 happens, and it's so it's kind of messed up because his wife is giving an interview and like. She's so materialistic. She's like talking about how they they're losing their big house with their three car garage, and like I get it, like, but she's like bawling about losing all this. Sadder than a rich person oh, losing yeah. money. Well, like never yeah. to them. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you've never had money, oh, no. yeah, having no less deal. of it, it's not a big deal. You just the you way cope. she makes it sounds is like you know she was raised to be able to know that she deserves to have all of this, and anything less is just there are a lot of those out there. <laughs> I'm not being judgmental. I'm not just anyone at the tables. <laughs> We've mastered being so. Poor. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> I've never faulted an extra fifty dollars in my check a week. I feel like I'm fuck Trump. yeah, dude. <laughs> it's been yeah. I I only recently have learned what it looks to live poor because I don't think yeah. I, I work. Remember, I worked just too many jobs before to actually yeah. be poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always had three jobs, but the last I have that'll rack up. That money will rack up. Oh yeah. When you're working that much, you don't have time to spend you don't have it time too, to spend yeah. it. So they uh, had to sell their house, and they moved out to this little place called Pinewood. And the apartment complex? No, the little the tiny. Derby? The, there, <laughs> there's a small town called Pinewood. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, true. And so that is very close to here. I, that's what I was trying to tell you. Okay. It literally takes place like right here. Like after this pod, we're gonna take a visit. Yeah, field trip, cocaine on. <laughs> So there's apparently this like homeless guy that lives around here in some of the woods. His name is Julian. And if you see a guy walking with a big stick and he's barefoot, that's him. Mm-hmm. So Julian like lived in Puerto Rico for a little while and he lived on the beach. And one day he finds this bag like washed up, you know, on shore and he's hoping there's money in it. And he opens it up. I dream about that a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> He opens it up, and there's not money in it. It's just a big fucking thing with, like, 30-something kilos of cocaine in it. And, we uh, know what to do with it. Right, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and he didn't either. Yeah. And uh, There is always somebody who does. I, <laughs> I, I'm pre- I don't know anybody, but I'm I do know some shady people. You're right, so, <laughs> yeah. so he didn't want to get caught with it, and he didn't want to take it to the police, so he didn't really know what to do. So no one don't love sell that shit. Yeah, right. Uh, so he, he just buried it, you yeah. know, um, and nobody ever came looking for it or anything like that. Um, so he came back to Florida and he left it there because how he long had gone by? Um, I think it had been like you know ten years oh, or something shit. like that. Um, so and, when construction works around here, you better be careful, right? <laughs> so you know, people had been he had been telling his story to the people around here, you know, and it had become kind of this like oh, treasure hunt. Almost. Well, yeah. like yeah, kind of this urban legend, yeah. you know, and like people would say, oh, what would what would I do with two million dollars worth of cocaine and everything like that. So the guy who moved from Gainesville out to Pinewood mm. hears this story and it just starts ringing in his head and he just can't get rid of it and he can't get rid of it. And he meets this other guy um, who I don't know him, but uh, like 
he starts talking with him about like, man, I wouldn't even know what to do if I had $2 million worth of cocaine. And he's like, well, I do, you know? <laughs> and so, I'm your uncle, <laughs> Yeah. So he's like, oh, really? Well, maybe there's something we can do here. So then they involve this third guy who's like, yeah. It's I like, can. Well, it's a big party. <laughs> yeah. So any, you any, any venture of this portion needs to be done singularly yeah i i agree with you <laughs> i'm not um, saying it's legal you should do it but the more people you involved i saw a simple plan yeah yeah, yeah exactly right yeah i don't want to get i don't want to go to jail for being like an upstanding citizen for your entire life and then accidentally finding something and wanting to better yourself and so so the third guy that they you know that the second guy introduces to him he knows a pilot down in Tampa. Mm. So basically, all they have to do is find out the exact location of where this is buried. And they have transportation from Puerto Rico on a private plane to Tampa. Yeah. And then pick it up from Tampa to you know to deliver here. Um, do they like separate that guy completely from it? Like, uh, you just find out where it is and then we'll take over from there type of deal? Basically, or? he's going to bring it in and they're going to pick it up from him. So it's and buried then, in Puerto Rico? Yes. Okay, yeah. I thought it was buried here. No. So... Um, so, so he just heard the story from in this another. Uh, there's something buried in another country. And he yeah, just, but this guy, it really happened. You know what I mean? Like he told him exactly where it was. Like it, you know, it'd be like me telling you. Like you might think I was full of shit, but if I finally was, I like, went down there and I didn't find it. Yeah, I'm coming to your house. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> you know. So they go down there to go and find it. Stagger, stagger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They go down there to go and find it, and uh, they can't dig the ground. It's, like, too fucking hard. Mm. Um, So they had a backup. Yeah, right. So they basically are trying to figure out. They know that it's there. They they just have to figure out how to get it out of the ground. And this guy's in construction and everything like that. So he meets with the guy uh, who has the plane. And the guy who has the plane is like, "Look, I can get things done down there. Give me the location of this thing. (laughs) Yeah, and I'll go get it for you. No problem. I'll cut you in. No worries. Exactly. Right. You know what I mean? Like." Here's my address. Personally, I'm sitting there watching this going, bro, if you gave me that map, like, you never see me again. I'm sorry. Like, my brother's in the car. Yeah, yeah, you know. So the guy says, all right, I'll let you know when I have it, you know, da 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 da. And he just fucking disappears. You know, he just fucking disappears. I know. And then randomly, like, I'm calling the cops. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the reason why he disappeared. Yeah. You can't fucking call the cops. Yeah. Um, so then like randomly, like two months later, he just sends him an email with a fucking picture of this like bag full of fucking cocaine, just like covered in dirt and everything like that. And dude's just like, fuck yes, it, it's, it's actually happening, yeah. you know? So he goes and he meets him at one of the rest so areas. he really gives it back to him? He goes and he meets him at one of the rest areas and... In Florida? Yeah, right down right fucking down. between here and Tampa. Yeah. Um, and like... They meet there, and he gives him the keys, and he's like, it's in the trunk, you know, and he walks out and looks around. There's nobody there. He opens the trunk, and sure as shit, his deal was he was going to keep eight kilos. So sure as shit, there's like 24 fucking kilos there sitting in the fucking Why trunk. Why that guy give it back to him? So he picks it up. He walks it over. He puts it in his fucking truck, thinking fucking life is gold, mm. and the fucking cops show up. And it turns out that the fucking the pilot was an cop. undercover the entire time. Wow. Right? Yeah. Then it turns out that the dude who said that he knew the pilot was just a fucking snitch. Mm. 
And the guy who told the story to his friend, that in, the second guy that involved the third guy, yeah. he just told him the story. And that guy had gotten busted like two or three days, like right before, or he had gotten told the story like two or three days right before he got canary. busted. Yeah. yeah. So um, answer this. Was the cocaine in the ground real? It was real. But there's no proof that they went down there and dug it up. Yeah. You know, and they fucking charged this guy. Like, he, he ended up... like a trap to me. It, that's what everybody said. That yeah. was his defense and everything like that. And, like, they, they he still got charged with it. I he mean, never... I mean, he took possession of the drugs. I mean, so the cops... Did they have him on audio ta- talking to the guy yeah. or anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, so but... it's not like... But that's the thing. Guy. is no, like no. They basically took some... That's like somebody it's coming still, to you they, and giving you an offer yeah. you can't refuse yeah. and you saying, like... You me with that offer. Right. I didn't come to you with this yep, shit. That's exactly. what I mean by entrapment. Yep. So I mean, I'm not saying he can't go to prison. Maybe. Right. Well, and he he ended up doing like I think like two months in jail, and he was on probation for like five years, you know. Um, but yeah. So the thing is, though, is uh, that in the end, they never really say whether or not they find the cocaine. So that's the whole thing. Is I mean, would you go back and? get the coat like and and they even say at the end like they have an interview with two police officers and they're like look we went there we dug it up we pulled it out of the ground you know yeah. but but then they're also like but don't go down there looking for that you know what i mean it's not going to bring you any you know anything good and then at the very end they give you the fucking precise coordinates of where it's supposed to be yeah. and like and you know some idiots going there absolutely dude yeah. you know get shot by a fucking Gangster. Yeah. I would want nothing to do with it. If you if you're yeah. if you're not into that shady lifestyle, it'd be different if it was money or something buried in the ground. Right. You know? Yeah. But in oh, if I dug up money here, yeah, I'm gonna go to the paper on it. On. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's my money. But yeah, I mean, so that literally cool. like but a couple miles. Is this like from a here. modern? I mean, it happened like what'd you say 20 uh, 2008 or something like that is when it happened so this had to have been like a somewhat new documentary oh yeah i think it just came out within the last couple Uh, of years there's a do you know that story about the guy out in the mountains that buried the million dollars worth of jewelry and stuff Mm -mm. and gives clues to everybody to find (laughs) it and oh wait maybe i have heard that he said he's trying to encourage people to get outside and be (laughs) adventurous but three people have died already and, and we don't even shit. know if it exists. He he swears it does and has pictures of what he buried. He's a rich eccentric. He has the money. Hmm. Three people, three died people have died. That's interesting. That's a documentary it. right there. I say we do it. <laughs> All right, let me know how it works out for you. One, two, three. We're exactly. Drunk, yeah. No, we we can do it, man. <laughs> I'll meet you there. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cool. What's the name of that again? It's uh, the uh, Cocaine Island. The Legend of, Legend Cocaine, of Cocaine Island. Island. Yeah, it sounds fascinating for sure. Yeah, and it's neat because like. You know, being that it's, it's in our hometown, it's happening to somebody else. Well, and it's in our hometown. Like everywhere they go, it's like, oh, I know where that is, and oh, I drive past it all the yeah. time, and like actually, like, oh, I know that guy, and oh shit, I know his son. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's crazy. Nice. All right, Dave, what do you got? Um, let's go for the the easy mellow one. First. Easy mellow one. Yeah. Mellow. This one is called Hero Dreams of Sushi. I love this. Mm. I love you this seen film. This movie? I have not. I've, I saw it. My wife saw it. My wife loves it. Uh, I didn't rewatch it this week because you can't rewatch it without wanting to go eat sushi. <laughs> we had like a. We knew what we were going to eat for the whole week because it's like, ah, oh, you watch that movie, you want to run out and yeah. eat sushi. Are you a fan of eating sushi? You're a sushi, you, sushi eater or no? I like sushi. Are you an oak guy? I, I like sushi, <laughs> but I don't. I don't. Eat, <laughs> I don't eat sushi because of personal reasons and being a fisherman. So 
I try not to that eat sushi. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. What? Explain. <laughs> Explain. So I have this warped idea that like if I don't eat fish and I throw back all the fish that I catch, that there will be more fish for me to catch. <laughs> so like the, the sushi's not coming out of the lake. You're eating. Them. You're fishing at. That. <laughs> if I find out it is, I'm gonna be. Yeah, I'm gonna be pissed. <laughs> well, first I mean, of maybe all, maybe some places in Gainesville like that. Yeah. First of all, <laughs> the freshwater eel you eat is coming around in places like this. Um, and second of all, if I support that industry, it says that I support the nets, and I don't support the nets. Mm-hmm. So it's therefore, take I don't. On, on something. And I don't on much, but that's yeah, like you know my what I'm one thing. Do now I'm gonna eat twice as much. Yeah. That's fine. Every time I, I usually only. I'll eat twice as less as none. <laughs> I usually only eat tuna and uh, salmon. And salmon. Yeah. I eat sushi. My wife and I, I eat sushi. Yeah. No. And, and, I, we, and we get. The, I don't like the urchin. And that's the thing is, I I don't have a problem with eating sushi. That's just something I do that's to make myself head. feel yeah. better about trying to do something for the earth. All right. That's enough public. PSA. <laughs> no, but I, I but I am I love the way the movie it's presented. Is and I and guarantee everything. you, even with that stance, you would love this film. Oh, I'm sure because it's told yeah. beautifully. I, yeah, I've got nothing it's, against it's the phenomenal. industry. I think this won the Oscar that year. I appreciate the Japanese culture and their love of seafood and the and the freshness that they put. And the huge in details, you know, this guy was. I mean, he he dedicated his life to a certain craft, and yeah. it was phenomenal. Since he was not only him, but his kids, he was and 80, his kids' kids. In this movie, he's eighty something. He's still running his restaurant, so he runs, I think, one of the only Michelin starred yeah. sushi restaurants. What's that? Uh, Michelin is a, you know, the Michelin tire yeah. from France. They oh. started this thing called Michelin to hold re- hold restaurants to a higher standard. Yeah. If you have a top rated restaurant you it's can hard buy. to get those. it's hard to get and you have to like it's ongoing to keep it yeah but you get an increased exposure yeah like um, ramsey has a couple of michelin for my, stars for my honeymoon in uh outside of uh naples in italy we went to a michelin three star the highest you can get oh wow but like even with cheap bottled wine it was like 800 bucks yeah if you have a michelin star it just means you can jack up the wow. prices like crazy because there are people and it was a, that will seek those out. It was a nine-month um, waiting list. Waiting list, yeah. Holy shit. It's crazy. Man. I, we we applied for it seven or eight months, eight, nine months before we got married. Yeah. Wow. And that's how long it was took. Was it worth it? It was worth it. Yeah. I, I ate too much. <laughs> well, it was a 10-course I mean, when's a, meal. it's probably the only time you're going to go there. Yeah. You might yeah. as well they, eat your weight. They bring you 10 different plates, 10 different entrees but like one or two bites each yeah just well, small. talk a little about okay, his so. his place is like in a subway like, it's in a subway yeah it's in a subway it's not it's nondescript i mean by the front door it looks what i remember and what is fascinating with me with this movie is where they they're talking about they're talking to the other workers and i think it was one of his sons his they're son? talking about and he talks about that you have different stages that you work at his restaurant and then you move to the next stage when you're ready but that they're talking about the one guy, and he's like... 57. He's like, I've been doing just rice for 15 years. Yeah. They, you do rice for 15 years, Holy and then you shit. can move on to something else. And just watching him do the rice, and they're like washing it, and they're doing it a certain way, and it's... It's like fan, it, it's, fanning, fanning it, and swishing it around a wicker basket, and yeah. tossing it. And they, the vinegar rice brings out the natural flavor of the fish is why they serve it. With yeah. a, and a little bit of soy sauce on top, vinegar, uh-huh. rice, soy sauce, and a, just a piece of fish. Yeah, they don't have. In most of Japan, it's, it's all nigari, sh- nigiri, or nigiri, sashimi, yeah. which mm. I can't. It's eat. not rolls. I can't eat right. nigiri yeah. now because I can't eat rice. 
but I can eat just big chunks of fish. Uh-huh. Yeah, I love the nigiri, man. You put a little piece of tuna on top of uh, that rice. Oh, so, but good. it was fascinating. Watch them do the prep. They went to the fish market and yep. they showed them shopping for. And it's funny. Sometimes you'll see like tuna sells for one point six million. Oh yeah, no, I'm that stuff's insane. Crazy. Yeah, like those like tuna the perfect are perfect fat content. They caught the perfect. Tuna. Yeah. Those things are huge, man. And they they have their operation down to a T. And uh, I can't stress how beautiful the shots are where they're just going through the dishes and they are serving the people uh, at the counter there and just how he's got like a really kind of extreme uh, kind of uh, – what high level of uh, of attention attention to yeah. detail in what he does? Nothing is done accidentally, and everything you get from him is going to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And they were tasting everything. Yep, every single little tiny thing they would serve, they're tasting it. Oh well, I mean yeah. restaurants can't do that. It's really but phenomenal, man. They were only like ten seats. Yeah, oh, in that wow. restaurant. Yep, and that's insane. In a subway. I don't think they yeah. told us how much. It was. They I bet you <laughs> if you went online, you could probably find out. Probably, and yeah. I bet it's you know. Eight nine hundred bucks for lunch. Yeah, but it's an experience, and this guy apparently he's still doing it, and his son's still going. Why is this guy dying? Well, his man? oldest, yeah. his oldest son. Yeah, he does has a his sushi own. restaurant yeah. on his own. Yeah, or not his oldest. One, his, he's got two sons. One of them has second his own. oldest. Yeah, the oldest son has to stay with his dad because he has to take over for him. That's Japanese oh, wow. culture, and the, because they asked the other guy why he left mm-hmm. and not the oldest son, he's like. It's his responsibility to take care of like yeah. the dad. So wow, it's never gonna unless something happened to his brother. It's never is, yeah. he's never gonna get that restaurant. Yeah. So and his other brother is. Ooh, that'd his be a good movie right there. <laughs> What's that? That'd be a good movie right there. <laughs> I kill you to get your sushi yeah. restaurant. <laughs> no sushi for you. <laughs> Hero dreamt the sushi no longer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was a phenomenal, phenomenal documentary. I completely recommend that to anybody, man. Yep. So, all right, mine here, and this is uh, probably the newest one I have on here, and this is 2015, and this is one that I, was a subject matter that I loved back in the day when I was younger, growing up, and I couldn't. Once I heard about this movie, I couldn't wait to see it and uh, and talk about it. Is 2015's The Resurrection of Jake the Snake? Oh shit! Uh, such a phenomenal movie. If you can find this, please watch it. It's uh, it's amazing, especially if you're familiar with the old WWF. I don't follow wrestling anymore. It's kind of hard to watch a little bit, uh, a little sense, bit, but it's it's sad. More the other it, guy. It's yeah, Scott Hall. Uh, and I'll tell you all about these guys here in a second. But uh, growing up, me and my cousin, this was our favorite thing in the world. We uh, Starting with WrestleMania two, I think. And I watched all the way until like 1990, and then I left it. It's huge up north, and I left uh, Massachusetts, and I kind of fell out of it. And now I, I tried to revisit, and I was like, you can't do it, man. It's just yeah. not, as, it's not as phenomenal. You don't have those great colorful characters and the interviews and everything. And I, could, I had all the toys. I still have a bunch of the toys. Yeah. They're dying in a uh, big clip at this point. What's that? All the old losers. No, they're all dying, man, because of the stuff they're putting their body through, and which kind of cares well to what's going on here. So Jake the Snake, uh, everyone knows Jake the Snake Roberts. He's a huge fixture in the 80s and the 90s in wrestling. You know, he was the guy who brought the snake into the uh, ring, and he had several feuds with Randy Savage, with uh, Ricky Steamboat, and Brutus the Barber, uh, Beefcake. Brutus the Barber, all all these great uh, guys. And so what's happening with this movie is Jake the Snake has, like, fallen down in like the hardest of times painkillers his back his knees uh and then alcoholism uh to the point where at the very beginning of the movie they show him what he looks like now and he's unbelievably overweight uh looks like he should not be out there and 
He's such a drunk at this point that he's doing whatever, and he's he he's still doing some back alley. Well, that's what he's doing, and they were, wrestling. And unfortunately, right. someone was filming at one point, and he went out there, and it was almost like an embarrassment. And they're they're talking to the guy who ran the thing, and he was like, he's like, I could tell it was going bad. He's like, he he could barely even stand up. So he was like, I was trying to help him out. He says he actually got in the ring. It made it look like it was a big thing that he was the promoter was pissed off, but he's like. He's like, I was grappling with him, and I was, I was telling him, just do the DDT, which is Jake the Snake's finishing yeah. movie. He says, just do the DDT for me, raise your arms, and we're done, man. Yeah. And he wouldn't do it. He, he just didn't know. He almost didn't know he was in the ring doing wow. this stuff, and it was all recording, and it was so sad to watch. <laughs> and uh, then what happened is the guy who does this documentary is actually on camera uh, a fairly uh, good amount because he's a huge wrestling fan. He heard about this. And this is where we bring in uh, Diamond Dallas Page. So I was wondering if and, that's what this and is about. I was out of the. Uh, I he was around and with the NWA and uh, the WCW back in the day, but I was more of a WWF guy. So I n- always knew of D- uh, Dallas Diamond Page, but he went on to become obviously famous, and he became famous for uh, starting this whole yoga kind of. Uh, thing that he's promoting and helping other wrestlers to do and yeah. kind of for for good health and everything and I've he was done always really good friends uh so dallas yoga? what's that have you done i yoga? haven't but it looks like something that I would probably be interested it's in. it's interesting like because it looks like it's all just kind of like oh you're standing and doing right? a pose standing and, and stuff. stretching but, yeah. but it takes strength oh, yeah. like you oh, know yeah. and, and it builds strength oh too. yeah absolutely like i've only done like one maybe 25 minute yoga session yeah. and like I mean, with your back it might and that's yeah thing, but, uh, but you sometimes know, i would think it would help your back absolutely you do, you do that's right yeah stuff, no yeah. and then every now and again i do a couple of the poses when my back's sore and it really does help you know but yeah. it's it's crazy how just standing still in those poses is like oh man this is fucking tiring yeah. like you know so it's good stuff yeah so some of the documentary guy uh, contacted Dallas and said, Jake is real bad, man. I said, he says, we need to, you need to help him out and then maybe we can document this thing and it will be uh, a really great thing. So they, he goes to Jake the Snake's house. He has no connection with his children. He's living in this like shack. I mean, he's he's got nothing. I mean, he's got like, you see the frame WWF uh, magazine on the wall it's like tilted and his house is trash and everything and he's like he's, he's given up on life he's completely given up on life and Dallas is like I'm taking you we're getting you on a plane you're gonna come to my house we're gonna start in this rehab program we're gonna start you doing this yoga and we're gonna change your life he's like I need it man I need something and it's very difficult for him and he lapses a couple times and he gets angry at a couple times you get to see him throw some fits I mean he's a full-blown and everything. alcoholic he's a full-blown alcoholic so they need to detox him and he was gonna leave at some point and he's on his way to the airport and they have to stop him from doing it and everything and then it starts working for him and everything <clears throat> and this was where the movie kind of almost takes a, a, a great turn here is they get another call from another uh, from another person telling him about Scott Hall, and Scott Mr. Hall is Razor Ramon, Razor Ramon, and he was also called the Diamond Stud if you uh, followed him in WCW. But then he became Razor Ramon. He was jacked, jacked. I he mean, always... really big guy. You remember Razor Ramon? Oh yeah, he always, he always had the came out to Rico Suave. And, and they had the toothpick. Tooth tooth he was always. He yeah. still does that. Suave, I see interviews with him now, <laughs> and he was great. He was a great <laughs> villain. Uh, but I always, because I watched it with my cousin, my cousin always knew their real names. I always knew who Scott Hall yeah, was. I, I knew Scott Hall because of 
of the WCW video game that they called him had. Scott Holland. Then? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I didn't that because I didn't realize that it was the same person until yeah. like a year after that game came out, and I was like, oh, I get it now. So what's what's interesting with Scott Hall and they they call him and Jake and Dallas are on the phone. You could see them on camera calling Scott Hall, and you hear Scott Hall in it. He's like, man. He says, Dally, I'm I'm really bad. He says, like, I wake up, I drink a fifth of vodka, and I just sit around and he says I, I just I can't do it anymore I think I'm uh, I'm thinking I'm on my way out and Jake's like Dallas is helping me man you need to come out here to the house he's like and we'll help you too we can do this and Jake sold it to him like you would be helping me uh, Scott if you come out here I need your help and that's the perfect way to sell it to anybody you know when you're trying that's, to get them that's on, what the on producer board. told him <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it works so they, they pick Scott Hall up at the airport and you wouldn't believe it he's in a wheelchair he can't walk he, he's completely in a wheelchair he's about he 100 pounds he's about 100 pounds but I mean, he, was he looks big old dude really. he looks bad that's in the, terrible in the movie, dude man. but what's great about it and it's all in an, every good documentary it's kind of this great build up to the end Yeah. <clears throat> and what their goal was that, he, that Dallas wants to get jake and scott in such good health that they can walk up and accept and be inducted into the hall of fame oh wow they, uh, in wwf and that's what the wwf called them vince is like we want to put you guys into the uh hall of fame and so they're building God, it i the couldn't mu- imagine if fucking razor ramon was up there in a wheelchair dude well that's what it was you know and they they show them building it up and there's <clears throat> they show them doing their yoga and you can hear them creaking and cracking and everything oh yeah and he Dallas basically changes their life. He yeah. saves their life by doing this. And I was like, man, he should be doing this for everybody, you know? I mean, and he maybe is. he has done for other people I mean, too. Oh, no, it's it's a whole he system just got now. A, he, like, just, I, he just got a big bump in his in his advertising. Yeah, I can't no. remember what his yoga thing is. I can't it's DDP yoga. Is, is that what it is? DDP yeah, no, I mean, because yeah. I've, I've looked into it. Yeah. And like, you know, and it's, it's very commercialized now, but I'm sure the program is still the same and everything yeah. like that. Like, he was saying uh, when I looked it up, like maybe four months ago, um, they were having a contest, like a transformation contest, mm. for like either a hundred thousand or a million. I know there's a big difference, but it's a zero. That's awesome um, because Dallas has plenty of money uh, now, and so just doing this is just helping his, uh, helping these great entertainers who've yeah. been like sacrificing their bodies for like years and years and years, Hell and yeah. they're like all they're all addicted to painkillers, which I get it. You know, yeah. you put your body through that much and. Uh, your knees are bad, your hip is bad, your back is bad, and if you don't have those things bad on your body, you don't realize how painful that oh, yeah. is. I'm, I'm married to a woman who has, like, she had x-rays done to her neck, and they told her, I said, you have a neck of an 80-year-old, yeah. and it's 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 bad, and it's not going to get better. last year, so that was 81. <clears throat> <laughs> so it, it's a phenomenal documentary. If you want to see this uplifting thing where you can see like you said, it's kind of sad at the beginning, but you've just seen where these guys have gone. But then you see them transform their life completely and uh, into these better people that they are, and it's it's, it's amazing to watch. So yeah, definitely check it out. Resurrection of Jake the Snake. All right. Um, so let's see which one am I going to go. So this is funny because I don't know. I, recently, I said like, dude, one day I'm just going to make up a movie and just like see if I can sell <laughs> it to you guys. Is that today's the day? This is it? <laughs> it's, it's almost like I could have done that with this one. Um, so this is called The Art of Organized Noise, um, which is basically... Art of Organized Noise. Yeah, which is basically the Dungeon Family, Outcast, Goody Mob, everything like that. It's their story. 
Um, and so organized look, look it up. <laughs> yeah. No, you know, this is fucked up. It was on Netflix and I went to go and watch it like yesterday and they fucking taken it off Netflix. Netflix, like, Netflix shit leaves quicker than you think. Pissed man. me off. Yeah. Um, That's like all your favorite shit too, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Like this is a great documentary. Um, I'm sure you, should, you can pay to watch it somewhere else. Yeah, no, you can on YouTube. Um, so the original members were Rico Wade. Um, oh, this is a uh, music group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's or it's like, about Outcast uh, okay. and, and Dungeon Family and everything. Organized. I never heard of Dungeon Family. I I, oh. I assume we're talking about like Castile keeping people in there. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> no, remember I told you about that concert I went to yeah, and how was it was Dungeon all family? my favorite groups. And they're, so it's it's like their Wu Tang. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Exactly. Gotcha. It's it's the southern rap version of Wu Tang. Gotcha. You know, there's a Wu Tang district in New York. Who are the, I saw that. Who are the biggest fucking members? Awesome. Who are the biggest members of the Outcast. Dungeon Family? Outcast. Outcast, Outcast and Goody Mob and. And, and uh, coming off of Goody Mob is CeeLo. Yeah, I've heard of CeeLo and I've heard of He was uh, on The Voice. Outcast, he yeah. did that song. No, I, I definitely know CeeLo. Um, yeah, so basically this is their story. It's how they came up. And like um, they call themselves the Dungeon Family because they all like would be together. There'd be like 16, like up to like 20 people in this little fucking basement, you know, just trying to grind out uh, beats and make rhymes and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And on the side, they were all fucking hustling, trying to sell drugs to keep, you know, to keep mm. everything going. They and weren't legit. <laughs> they Not were at the beginning. They were legit. That's <laughs> that's how they made it. Um, and so, basically, it's just their story and their come up, and it all, like you said, it all builds up to this like one certain point. So, all back, great documentaries, man. It's it's that's a great formula for good documentaries. Back in the nineties. When it came to hip hop, you had East Coast, you had West Coast. Yeah. You know, nobody knew there was no Dirty South. You know what I mean? Well, Outkast ended up winning Album of the Year, um, and at that point, the uh, the Source Awards were in New York, mm-hmm. and so everybody wanted Biggie or Tupac. Biggie or Tupac. Yeah. That's those. Yeah. That's that was it. You know, and they won like Best New Artist. I think that's what it was, an Album of the Year, and they come up. And the entire fucking crowd booed them, yeah. you know, and like no one in some of those communities, you know, uh, the underdog is not as uh, revered as. Uh, yeah, as you know, and big so guys. big boy gets on the mic and he's like, and this is on one of their CDs at yeah. the end of the CD. They've taken this and they've put it on there and a documentary, I imagine. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That's what it leads up to is them at the Source Awards going up on stage to accept the award being booed by oh, yeah. everybody. So we're seeing the build up to. Yeah, what you gets know, and like big boy, you know, just says like, thank you very much for the award and everything like that. And then he turns it over to Andre and Andre just goes, yeah, it's like this, though. He's like. I'm tired of these closed-minded folks. You know what I'm saying? It's like, we got a demo tape, but don't nobody want to hear it. But it's like this. The South's got something to say. That's all I got to say. And then he just set off the mic. And everybody, once they heard him say that, was just like, oh, because the other thing he's like, he said, you know, we know this is your city and we know we're from down South. And he's like, we appreciate y'all letting us come up here. And once he said that, everybody fucking was just in shock and awe. And they created the dirty South, like they created Southern rap in that moment. You know what I mean? And like, it was fucking huge, you know? That's what's great about a lot of those award shows where people aren't exposed to that type of music until they get big like that, which, which sucks, but it's, it's one of those things. It's almost character building for them that, uh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean like, you know, it's, 
it defined its own genre. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so it, it, it's just amazing. And then um, they go off into making all of their hit records and everything like that. And, and it goes back to like, they're, basically we're following Outkast through it. It's, it's everybody. It's, everybody. it's Outkast, it's Goody Mob, it's Backbone. Who officially C-Bone. started the Dungeon Family, though? So it was Rico Wade, Sleepy Brown, and the other guy's name is uh, Ray Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they basically were the ones who had the equipment, you know? Um, <laughs> you need that guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know? And so, like, CeeLo was actually supposed to be a part of Outkast, mm-hmm. but, like, it just didn't work. So then they... It's weird how commercial he became, huh? Oh, yeah, but I mean... But, I mean, you can't fault him for it. Right. Um, but it all started, and I, I will... This is my mecca. I will get to this place one day. It all started in this dungeon, man. And in this, like, well, you know, that's what they I called the basement. the dungeon. Yeah, that's what they called the basement was the dungeon. And, like, they all tagged all the walls and everything like that. And, like... So I've always <laughs> you I've that. always <laughs> wanted to go there and like there's really I mean it's in the middle of a not so great neighborhood in Atlanta you can't yeah. just go knock on the door and be like hey can I go to your basement you know so the guy who owned that house just in the last 6 months finally sold it to Big Boy oh, so Big Boy now owns it so it's like going to be a dungeon family museum That's where you cool. can go down and walk and sit on the steps where they like created all of that music and everything That's cool. yeah so Fucking getting some money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I'd I'd pay to go in there. Um, I'm probably the only one, but hey, I'll pay. I don't think you. <laughs> what's no. your, what's your favorite thing from the documentary when you're watching it? Um, so there's some really cool stuff where they talk about how, like, Outcast got started, and there's a line where they say like, um, you frequent the booty clubs, and you know, it, like that doesn't pay the rent, you know, and like. They show these scenes of them in this like nothing club and everything like that, and the way that they because if you do a stage, you know, you know, if you do a, a stage show like that shit takes you know stamina. Like it's not easy oh, yeah. to just you know do I used to roll around on the floor playing guitar solos on my back, and you have to be in good shape yeah. to do Ask that. Ask Mick you Jagger. Know? Do you see the video? I don't know if you have to be in good shape to do it, but you, you gotta have chemicals in your body. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. That did you too. see the Mick Jagger video that he just released? I did not. It's six weeks after his heart thing and he's dancing like crazy he released the video yesterday really and he's just he's like 75 years old and he's out there dancing better he's than i older than that yeah. yeah probably i think he's that i think he's 75 i think he's 75 77 but That's one crazy. of my favorite things was to find out that in order for them to prepare to be able to do the shows mm-hmm. um yoga yeah <laughs> <laughs> no uh la or not la reed uh rico wade would have them run behind a car and rap their lyrics while like they were Mac. running. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know what I mean? Um, and and they would have to go through the whole album while they were jogging so that they would already be out of breath. Yeah. But it's just a, a really cool story of What's how... Your, it, so Outcast is your favorite group from that the Dungeon family? Oh, yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite album? Uh, if, if I was not, and I'm not familiar yeah. with them, what album should I like? This is the one you need to listen to. I mean, to. for me, it would be Equimini. Um, and my favorite song on that is Liberation. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but that's like personal. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you just wanted to straight up, like, fuck, I want to jam to this album. Um, I'd probably say stank on you. Stank on you. Yeah. That's the, is that their most popular one too? Or no? What's um, most popular? the most popular is probably uh speaker box and love below the double disc with. Hey, uh, Hey, you know, yeah, because yeah, yeah. everybody fucking knows Hey Ah. Like, yeah. I remember... Even if you don't think you do, who, you do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember uh, when that was on the MTV Music Awards and Andre was going to perform it. Right before he uh, started into the song, he goes, 
all right, God damn it, for the 10,000th time, here's yeah. Heya, and just uh, started right on in with it. You, you know? forget how artists are probably sick as shit. Oh, my God. And some artists will, will continue to do it, like the Stones. The, uh, I had heard somebody had gone to see the Stones like five years ago, and it's they know what their fans want to hear, and that's yeah. what all they play. But how many times they're sick of singing, I don't get any satisfaction, yeah. or oh I saw them on the Steel Wheels tour yeah. in 1989 that's probably their or 1990. Last, I think that's and the last time. they build it as their last, last one tour. Yeah. 1990. Yeah. yeah. I don't think they do much after Steelers Wheel in their concert, though, because that was like their last huge, huge album, I think, where yeah. they had all those big hits. Well, from. I know they came here, and I saw them, yeah. you know, I mean, and I was in like eighth grade. Never saw them. They had like them, a yeah. 70-foot steel dragon that was breathing fire oh, yeah. on Ben on Hill show, Griffith. Man. It was fucking it's badass. You pay. That's why you have to pay 250 a ticket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's crazy. That's awesome, though. Yeah. All right, Dave, what do you got? All right. This movie I I saw last week. Never heard of it before. Oh, well. I had already had my list with this not on it. And you're like, screw it. I and, it. Someone's getting bumped. And it was about anti-doping. It was a called Icarus. So I started watching it, and what it was is there was a, it followed this filmmaker who was also an amateur ra- racer, bike mm-hmm. ra- racing, like Tour de France. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he would compete in these, like... Crazy ones like oh, it's that type of doping, like uh, yeah, okay. So he said, mean, Is he, it Icarus? Icarus, okay, all right, all right. So the one race he had in France, he's like, Pick the the eight, eight worst, hardest days of the Tour de France, all hills and stuff. He said, And that's this race, oh wow, all back to back to back to back. And he said, So he competes and they tape him, and he finishes like. In the top 25. He wanted to break 100, but he did a lot better than he thought he was going to do. Uh-huh. And he said, but man, there was at least 10 cyclists there that I could never beat. And these are amateurs. These aren't even professionals. Right. So he's like, he, he was talking to his friend, and, and they were like, he wondered how much uh, doping was prevalent. And they came to the conclusion that everybody was doping there. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. So one of, his fa- one of his all-time favorite riders was lance armstrong and this is after lance armstrong had already gotten busted he went to his friend he said i want to make a documentary i want to take steroids and show how easy it is that's great to cheat oh wow steroids so they his doctor sets him up with a bunch of other doctors and lawyers and uh at one point the main doctor drops out because he's like "I i think my reputation might be hurt but i have somebody that will work with you he's uh-huh. one of the best in the world so he hooks him up with this russian guy that's the head of wada which is the the, the organization that tests all the olympic athletes oh, wow. in russia so this is right before sochi so this russian comes on he's very charismatic and he's talking back and forth with him about the different things they show him how to give the injections he was giving himself the injections he's taking piss and checking the piss the guy, russian is going to help him mm-hmm. he, he's the head of the lab that treats to catch but he's going to help him cheat. Yeah. So he so he's filming it. Yeah. And so it's fascinating. This whole thing's going oh, back yeah. and forth. He comes like... over to the U.S. and picks his piss up and takes it back to Russia to test it to make sure that he wasn't, you know, make sure he was it was getting clean so he could beat the tests yeah. before the next race. That's crazy. And so all of a sudden, the movie takes a 100% turn. The lab in Russia gets busted and he's under surveillance oh shit for accused of helping russians and he's very candid when he's talking about it and he's like the the documentary is is asking him questions that he answered 
b- before the, <laughs> the investigation. Like, it, the movie came out after the investigation yeah, finished, yeah. but he was asking questions that he was admitting to, right, knowing that he was implicating Russia as being one of the biggest. He's like, we are the best cheaters in the world. Wow. He's like, as, as we are catching people for doping, we are sponsoring every one of our athletes. Oh Almost. That's the type of shit that should get you shot in the head. There, Jeez, it may have. He's, yeah. he's considered Putin's biggest whistleblower. Oh, All the crazy fuck, shit that it may Putin have. does because Putin loves the Olympics. Yeah. And they were having the Olympics in Sochi. He's such a good athlete. And too. So, he scores like eight goals. Man. I know, man. <laughs> <laughs> so they helped... He said they so Sochi comes and goes, and the Russian guys like eighty three of our athletes were doping, and we got them, and they showed how they cheated. They took so the piss bottles from the come from the athletes. They give two samples, and it has a special locking cap that you can't tamper. We have to break the cap to open it. So if it's open, they know it's a contaminated yeah. Russian KGB designed a way to break into the bottles and re oh my god so they but they left little scratches and so the investigators found those so basically they determined that you know russia cheated and then they weren't gonna remember how they got banned from rio they couldn't compete yeah. in Rio, and yeah. that was because of this oh that was this yeah, yeah. i was wondering but yeah he at some point this russian calls up um his buddy the filmmaker in the u.s and says listen i need to get out of country yeah. oh like, fuck right the fuck now wow like, on my back yeah and i need a place to stay and they brought him here and the feds pick him up mm. and question the shit out of him to help prosecute the russians for doping we mm. were pissed because the russians won the most gold medals in sochi yeah right and they cheated across the board and, and so probably just, how many olympics before that oh yeah everyone yeah like the guy was like he's like we're that the 1980 great, hockey team listening yeah. to this russian guy <laughs> talking he's like we are the greatest cheaters in the world yeah we're very very good at it. the documentary it's guys like can you believe he's saying all this yeah, yeah know, right? we're getting gold, Fucking gold. <laughs> he's like yeah at the same time he's probably like i hope he stays alive long enough yeah, for me right. to finish this yeah, exactly, fucking movie right. and i would be uh, concerned so about myself doing fuck the documentary. yeah so dude. he comes like get you out of the country i'm getting me out of yeah exactly i don't even know who you are he came here. This filmmaker is here. The Russian flew here. Um, he had been here once before in the documentary. Um, Justice scoops him up. He's in the witness protection program now. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. still right now, yeah. Right at this moment. Because wow. he they they have sent people, I'm sure, to try to take uh, him out. Fuck uh, yeah! All dude. Of, you ever read those stories about but they use palladium? They put it on a doorknob. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you get radiation like poisoning, style. and you die. Yeah, right. <laughs> and you die, and it's hard to. Detect unless you're actually looking for polonium. Yeah, you have to run a test for specifically. For That's crazy. Polonium. It was so bad that when the when the remember the the Russian and his daughter got assaulted. Yep. In yeah, Br- I was just Britain. thinking of that when they dumped something on uh, her. Polonium. So the the thing that the doorknob that they got caught from another couple had touched it months later oh wow and w- the mo- the woman died that's oh, wow. crazy because those two didn't die the, no uh, the they mother didn't die the, oh, the one of the, the couples that touched it later on died. wow that's so crazy it's like man. that fentanyl crazy shit where the cop posed someone over with fentanyl i don't know her that you know what i'm talking I know, about i know what fentanyl is but what happened it, with the cops he cop just picked the baggie up oh yeah 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 it, i did hear it about that into his skin Fuck. and it took three narcam damn things to get him back, him back. but Google that shit. It happens a lot, dude. Yeah. They just. If I was a cop, I would not. I would always gloves. be wearing gloves. Always. Yeah. Be wearing oh gloves. yeah, dude. Blood, spit, all yeah. that. You, Needles, all that yeah. shit. You don't want to connect. What were you gonna say? Oh, I forgot. <laughs> it, it's gone. Yeah. It was about fentanyl. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um. I think they just recently uh, executed a guy um with fentanyl. 
because there was like a shortage on the yeah, drugs. It's the perfect. It's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Um, and like they did an interview with him before his execution, you know, and he was just like, hell yeah, just bang me up and send me off. You know yeah. what I mean? Like it's, it's strange and I don't want to go off on a tangent, but it's strange that veterinarians lead the field in being able to put their patients down sure yeah humanely yeah and it's crazy they don't turn to that community yeah it's like it's a moral thing for them mm-hmm. for people but okay that's crazy but yeah. this documentary was absolutely great and it was that he set out to make one documentary and then he saw the opportunity he never went back you at halfway point he abandoned the whole first narrative mm. and it like just turned into something else race, wow that's crazy yeah that was not even in the picture yeah, now, yeah. now we're just fighting yeah, for like, our oh, lives shit yeah. he, I gotta get this guy race. out of Russia yeah. and he's gonna take Putin down that's, that's crazy man crazy. he told him things that didn't come out for months and months and months and I, the, I, and the, the documentary filmmaker took the Russian guy to the New York Times and let the New York Times interview him before wow. he let Justice interview him. So Damn! Justice was pissed because they weren't gonna. They were like, "Well, we wouldn't have released half of this stuff." Yeah. And the New York Times like, well, "The end we of had this it first. Yeah. The end of this documentary probably still hasn't even been written yet. You know, no, because yeah. they he's got still out there. scouring the fucking <sighs> U.S. Crazy, looking dude. for that Russians. Yeah. Don't forget either. <laughs> I'm sure that documentary filmmaker has his phone tapped forever and eternity oh, yeah. by both the U.S. Oh and yeah, dude. <laughs> That's crazy. And what's fascinating with me, and it kind of piggybacks on mine, is the idea of somebody putting their own body through something, like how it was at the beginning where he was going to yeah. intentionally dope, which leads me to my uh, next one. And this is the uh, 2004, a documentary that changed a whole a shitload of stuff in, oh, in shit, the world, yeah. is Super Size Me. So I take it all... Both of you guys have seen this movie, right? This That's, is probably one of the movies on a few movies on our list that all I've three of us this, have yeah, seen. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this was a phenomenal documentary. That's though. the first documentary I ever saw. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Really? That's yeah. crazy. Uh, well, what's great about this documentary, among a lot of things, is Morgan Spurlock. I love Morgan Spurlock. He does a lot of great stuff. He did that a Thirty Days show uh, after that was on, good. on CNN. Yeah, yeah, he did a CNN show that, that was really great. Somewhere. Well, he yeah he would he would go into different businesses and he would work in the slaughterhouse for thirty well, days or in a prison he did a prison one for thirty days. Well, eventually he like did cultural stuff too. Yep, like he absolutely. would go and be like a Muslim for like thirty days. And it was really stuff like really that. cool. It was really interesting. Yeah, like, we watched it every week when he cool. Did that. I always thought being a documentary filmmaker would be it would be really cool. cool. Well, you're a filmmaker yeah, and yeah. you like documentaries. Yeah, if only I could figure out how to combine the two. <laughs> 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 but it's also the way to get hated. You know, I mean, yeah. like in. If in town here, we had mentioned oh. it in the past that we should do like a documentary on the homelessness in town. Uh-huh. And you're just gonna piss people off. Problem yeah. is, you can never. You're gonna get audited every year. Yeah, it's gonna... better if to do it and then leave town. Do it yeah. right when you know you're gonna leave or something. Because <laughs> you'll get that was pulled over, was... but you'll have like a big red flash. <laughs> and it didn't make the the pod. But another Morgan Spurlock one I love is that Comic Con one he did about San Diego Comic Con. It was called A New uh, Hope. Uh, and it was it was really really amazing. But he wasn't he wasn't you heard him narrate the whole thing, but you didn't see his face on the whole thing. And I kind of he's so charismatic and funny, and I really I uh, like him a lot. You know and, who didn't like him? <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> 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 because oh Super Size Me was so great. It was wow. very much like, and this is not a documentary we have on here too. Is Blackfish very much what Blackfish did the Sea World? Yeah. Morgan Spurlock solely did to McDonald's. Yeah. They destroyed about them. You could but he brought about change. SeaWorld's still going to be fine, unfortunately. You could, not for a lot of could, people, though. I won't go back there. I won't go, I won't back, go back there. there. No. So, and I liked it when I went. And there's a lot of people that won't go to McDonald's again. And I should start by saying that. I can't say that. 
I don't even think there. I think there's kids that are old enough now, like that, don't even know what supersize me means. Yeah, I, I don't even think which they is good. Understand it. There's some phenomenal they stuff. Anymore? No, they after this they got rid of. No, it. they got rid they of it. Got it. That was the that was the big first change okay. they made, and yeah. then they started going into Salads healthier and alternatives and everything. But he exposed stuff like the parfait. Is worse than the Sunday. Well, than the you know? salad. It, yeah, like and the dressing on it adds so much to it and everything. 20, yeah, uh, adds twenty grams. Yeah. So those are not familiar with supersizing. What Morgan Spurlock did, he he came up with the idea that he is, and he's a healthy guy at the time. His he was wife dating, was vegan. Uh, at the time he dated a vegan. I don't think he's with her anymore. But at the time he was, uh, his girlfriend was a vegan cook. So you know they ate really well and everything. So his idea was for thirty days I'm going to eat nothing but McDonald's. And he had the stipulation that when he was in the drive-through or when he was in the uh, in the inside and he was ordering his food, if they offered him. A super to supersize it, he yeah. had to do it. Yeah. That was the kind of deal. And what was great about this is he went through to the doctor yeah. uh, and that he was got all his part he got me. all his stuff tested and everything. He says, yeah. "You're great. Your your body fat is right where it should be for a guy your height. It's it's all that stuff." And then systematically, you get to see his shit going down and down and down. Yeah. But during the whole thing, they were going into kind of the uh how mcdonald's was advertising to kids and you know and we grew up in the 80s you know where where was every saturday cartoon like every commercial break you had those chicken nugget creatures and you had the the what was the burglar the uh the hamburger yeah you had grimace and they had shamrock shake yeah (laughs) and granted me and my wife will eat uh we will eat fast food maybe once a year it and Sometimes it's twice, uh, like once every two years. We have. I could go without eating fast food for the rest of my life, and I would not miss it in the least. I feel like we cook KFC a lot of food. More than that, though. what's that? <laughs> I feel like she eats KFC more than once a year. No, no, no. Okay. yeah. We, I think we ate KFC like two years ago, and that's the last time we ate. That might be the last churches. Time we ate. Maybe I was thinking churches. Churches. We, yeah. Even that has been like a year or so. Today's pod is much. also brought to you by Burger King, Wendy's, <laughs> Subway, <Amicons>. Taco Bell. <laughs> well, we are very healthy eaters, and we eat a lot from scratch. We even yeah. have tried to We're get rid of way. boxed stuff completely. We don't. Uh, we want to completely make stuff from scratch, and I've kind of taught myself to make sauces and roux and everything like that. Yeah. So we eat super healthy. Uh, not that we don't have our most. We'll have dessert and stuff like that. We just will <laughs> avoid like, and we're we have been me and my wife have both been like the same weight since high school, and that's that's part of it. We don't drink, and we don't uh, uh, we don't drink. We don't eat fast food. So that's God. You guys are boring as fuck. <laughs> I <laughs> I do not eat fast food, but I drink. <laughs> and it's like we have. Different parts of our life. <laughs> Obviously, like most people, we have different parts of our life where we're like borderline and unhealthy with that. But if you, elim- with if you eliminate certain things from it, it just oh, makes yeah. you that much more healthier. Yeah. And that is what this has shown us, you know. Uh, I live unhealthy this. enough for all of us combined, yeah. so don't even worry about it. <laughs> well, how, many, how many meals are at a gas station a week? I already had one today. <laughs> That's it's key, really, too. Don't go really into the gas horrible. station. Like, I, living yeah. out on the farm... And my wife is a big proponent of whole foods. Yeah. Like nothing processed. Nothing processed. That's what I meant when I said boxed foods. Right. Yeah. Nothing, processed. nothing processed. You can buy stuff from the grocery store, but just don't buy processed. Yeah. I'm getting better. I'm make getting make better. your own mac and cheese. Don't add the yellow powder into your yeah. shit, man, because it's not good for you. <laughs> That's probably one of the few things she does. <laughs> yeah. And everyone's got their thing, you know, She's because got like two or three all, things. It's a nostalgia And it's a thing. comfort food, and she probably feels Absolutely. bad. She probably feels guilty after eating it too. Absolutely. Like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten that. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, it's a lot of it's nostalgia, and that <laughs> that, that goes along with the McDonald's yeah. thing. A lot of people Dude, grew up eating that stuff, and they want to feel good. I still remember most of like my favorite Happy Meal toys oh, yeah. that I had growing up. Like Absolutely. I remember having a chicken nugget. Those that chicken was, nugget like, toys. Were yeah, so that had great, like man. I remember my favorite one. Oddly enough, was like a fucking police officer. That's weird that you said that. That was my favorite one I, too. I, I like I remember those toys. I remember the Muppet Babies toys. Absolutely. Like I remember having Star Gonzo. Wars glasses. Oh, the glasses. Yeah, I have one of the glasses. I got now. my brother. Got one too, for yeah. uh, for Christmas, yeah. you know, um, like they we really played do, into our well, we, uh, kind of uh, growing up. My mom was took us there. You know, you you eat and you play on the play thing. Yeah. yeah, but she also would do the birthday parties. Uh huh. And we would invite we. So we have a lot of photographs of us building. They would give you cups and you build the cup tower. Yeah, and yeah. They were just catering to. Kids and people all and marketing, they didn't give a shit. Yeah. all using a pedophile clown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's a different story. Well, <laughs> I, I should mention this too. And one of my favorite things about this documentary is actually not in the film; it's on the special features. And I think I know what you're going to say. And it, it it really pisses me off that it wasn't in the it's film. It's surprising that it, it wasn't because in it's there. it's the one thing that I, my mind immediately goes to every time I think of it, and then I, every time I watch the movie, and I've watched the movie like five times, I there's a part of me that always forgets. Hey, where's that scene that where they do this? And I was like, oh shit, it's on the special features. So I, I watched it the other day, and uh, so what Morgan does is he, he goes into his offices and he has these glass containers. They look like uh, stuff that you would keep candy in or something. They got yeah. lids on them and everything. So what he does is he takes a Big Mac, he puts it in there, and he puts the glass top on He takes a fish filet sandwich, he takes a quarter pounder with cheese, he takes the french fries, and then he takes a burger that was cooked down the street, you know, like on the grill, yeah. completely natural, and he, and he also takes some fries Home that were cut, like cut. Hand-cut fries. Hand-cut fries. And he's doing a time lapse yeah. now, and every like three or four days he comes in there. And then it gets it gets extreme where he's jumping ahead three weeks to four uh, well, weeks. The, the, so the the hand cut fries and the other burger, yeah, they go were, first. They were a complete juicy, nasty, moldy, yeah. moldy mess. after like a two days, yeah, maybe three days. And, and yeah. the other ones broke down too. The fillet of fish happened early on. Yeah. The other ones started growing some stuff in it. But the real shocking thing, it is that they took it all the way to like I want to say 3 months. I want to say they took it to 3 months. They and they would do the camera, they would pan over it and it was nasty. It was like the nastiest yeah. stuff. You don't know where these fluids are coming oh, from yeah. or how one of them look looks like it's just bacteria. One of them was completely white. It was just like this huge it looks like yeah. it was a frosted Science donut experience. or something, yeah. But the french fries <laughs> Did not change. Perfect. Really, the McDonald's French fries look yeah. exactly the same as when they put in there. A year, and, they were and yeah. anyone who's ever like uh, dropped one in their car, and yeah. found one of the seat, was yeah. like, "Holy shit! Well, I haven't had McDonald's in four months." This looks, looks fine. Like, I'll, I'll still eat this. <laughs> well, part of it is it's like Peter part Grimm of it. The Cheeto. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I'll eat McDonald's once every three months, and I'm you doing keto. So what I'll do is I'll usually it's the bacon, egg, and cheese biscuit. Mm-hmm. And I'll eat the the cheese, the egg, and yeah. the bacon, yeah. and give the biscuits to the chickens. Yeah. Oh, nice. And uh, and I don't. And, but and they're good. I'll tell you that. They're good. But I can make those myself. I know. At home, but you know? here's the thing: if I eat the biscuit, 
Mm-hmm. It burns my tongue. There's so much so salt, salt on it. Yeah. Oh, so wow. That's why the French fries kill. Salt kills everything. Yeah. Like nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That, <laughs> like, salt yeah. kills everything. So if you dump something in that much salt, you can yeah. put it on the shelf. That's how, I mean, that's how yeah. they used to preserve meat. Exactly. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> so it just shows how much. So you're saying yeah. I can like long shelf McDonald's fries because yeah, I will man. fucking and do I, that. <laughs> and I want to say that I. Saw and they are good. I'm not going on here I saying watched, that those stuff yeah, is yeah, good. They're tasty. I watched for you. I watched our mother. Put salt yeah. on something I made. She has a salt issue, and, and, and I was like, "Holy cow!" Yeah, I put it in my hand. Yeah, that's the best. Before way to do it. I put it on my food. Yeah, and I don't cook I with even, a lot of it. You can I add almost, it afterwards if you need it afterwards. Yeah. I, I do a little bit, obviously, but we add salt to almost every dish I make, and it's because I undersalt every dish I make. because yeah. it doesn't hurt it. To, but there's the, only a the few more things you that do that, the less you're dependent on it too. That's you true. lose the taste yeah. for it, or, you, or it, it hits you strong like it does with you with the biscuit. You're like, wow, I can almost not even eat I, this because yeah, it's just too strong. To uh, and that's how it is. And yeah, mom has a salt problem. So she, that was a great documentary. He was really, really great. And yeah. he single-handedly... Into, cha- that's what makes a really good documentary. Yeah, change the world, where, man. Where ch- yeah. Something can change. No, like, I mean, it's pretty much the reason that every fast food restaurant has the calories up there. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Like There was a moment in the documentary where he went in for the nutrition information and they couldn't find it. Someone had it in the basement. Another person yeah. had it hidden behind like yeah. something else and it was well, insane. And at one point, his doctor's like, look, you need to stop this. Yeah. Like, like, oh yeah, you need they to were begging this to now. Do it. Like you know, I just think, eat the salads. He's yeah. like, hey, ask me to supersize it. I got to get that supersized yeah. drink. So Ugh. that was great. That McDonald's really was forward, and they're one of the more healthier ones now. And it, if it told you anything, I it's bet like, they put a hit on them though for the first yeah. six months. Well, that's what's crazy, <laughs> and you could tell that they were in boardrooms screaming at them the same way the Blackfish documentary, like the Sea World yeah. ones. We yeah. have to change this. Yeah. So and even to the point where like the resurrection of Jake the Snake, it changed him. So any documentary that can bring about change is 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 aces in my book and that's why uh morgan should still be out there doing all this stuff he was great all right justin what you got all right um so this one is actually kind of fucking depressing um <laughs> Yay. yeah but <laughs> yeah i know right but this one's also I'll do like, an uplifting one next how's that good speaking deal. of which before you get into that i follow like uh, a dvd search on ebay and it, uh and I, I look for disc onlys because they're super cheap. People will like and I, because I don't need the I don't need Harry the box and the or anything. Disc only. I'm looking in the in the stream and uh, Plague Dogs was on there. Yeah. Oh, oh wow. And I was like, holy crap! That's the first do time it. I had ever. No, I didn't. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it. But I saw it in there and it reminded me of the, the depressingness of that. <laughs> <laughs> all right, sorry. Go ahead. Um. All right. So this one is called. Uh, but it's also like a change the world type uh, nice. documentary. Uh, it's called Waiting for Superman. Okay. Have y'all? I have seen. This this back in the day when it first came out, but I uh-huh. don't remember anything about it. I remember yeah. it dealt with education, yeah. and that was it. Um, dude. It won the Oscar, I think. I think it, it won did. Best Oscar. It did. Um, I, I'll tell you, man, and I, I hate to have to say this, but this is a documentary that literally is just like, God, I'm glad I don't have kids. Yeah. Like, yeah. this is basically about... I say that once a day, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's basically... <laughs> I <got you> <laughs> <laughs> um, It's basically about... The public education system in America, and you're trying to say it's not good. It's terrible, man. I, like, and I don't want to cut you off, but Paul and I were, we got lucky. We were got lucky, and we went to private school mm-hmm. with the, at the right point in our life. At the so. right point in our life, where we sparked education, to, almost to the point when Paul transitioned over to public school in his freshman year. Yeah, I didn't have to do anything for you four were, years, all yeah. through high school. I coasted through high school because yeah. my four years before that in private school was like college level, right? It, 
I was just relearning stuff I had already yeah. known. Yeah. It's like, oh, I can diagram a sentence. I did that three years ago. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I got straight A's to high school because of private school earlier on. And even like in Massachusetts, it's a higher level. The public school is a higher level than Florida. Florida is kind of really low yeah. with their I graduated system. fourth now, in was my this... class hmm. out of nine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, was this this was nationwide, or they were specifically talking statewide? In um, this no, well, oh, so one, one was in I think one was in Texas, one was in New York, okay. one might have been in Florida because okay. um, I think it was like four or five different kids. And the, did any of them get a good education? So that's basically what it was. The documentary, the filmmaker, he was a teacher mm-hmm. um, in public schools. So he and saw now did race play on, anything yeah. in this into this documentary? I mean. Not yes and no. Like it's not. It's not based. There. There's no. There's no bias towards that. I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, in the documentary, they're not trying to say that like these kids from lower income. Yes. Yes and no. Like it's not about race. It's about like opportunity and where you're from. Yeah. And uh, you know, unfortunately, so socioeconomic. Thank you. Point. Yeah. Um. And so the filmmaker is becoming or has just become a father and is like his child is about to enter public school yeah. and as <laughs> homeschool that brat. Well, and as a <laughs> teacher, teacher. Yeah. and yeah, as yeah. a teacher in the public school system you know he want, he says like you know I wanted so much to believe that you know this education system would work for my child but I know that it doesn't. So it even though so much weight to the documentary <clears throat> him being a teacher, you know. So I even don't though, like how they they tr- they don't train you they don't teach you fundamentals forget mm. the testing and passing those test scores and forget all that shit yeah. teach people fundamentals right um and so like you know he's like but i un- i send my kid to a private school and yeah. i do whatever i have to do yeah. to make sure because i want my kid to have the best education yeah. So that's the thing. He follows these kids around, um, and I'm not sure the the time frame. Like I, it's it, probably about a year, maybe mm-hmm. two years, something like that. Um, and every one of these kids is like super fucking bright, you know, and like they deserve to have like the best education possible. But they're but, not getting it. But they can't afford it. You know what I mean? Like their parents can't afford it, or if they can, the good schools. There's, you know, there's. 60 entries and 180 applicants. You know what I mean? And like... It's kind of like PK Young here. Yeah. Right. And so like it gets to the point where they have to have a lottery. You know what I mean? For these kids. That's right. And that's, that's what I remember about that. And that's how... And so there's a couple other things. One, it's called Waiting for Superman. The The movie... The documentary starts off and it's um, one of the main... Documentaries and movies. Yeah. The <laughs> film starts off and it's one of the main like followed teachers and also kind of narrators of the... You know, or co-narrators of the film. And he talks about when he was a kid and he read comics and like he would read about Superman. And one day his mom said like, look, Superman's not real. And he started to cry, and like his mom was like, you know, because his mom thought it was like, you know, oh, the Easter Bunny's not real yeah, yeah. or something like that, you know. The Easter Bunny's not real. <laughs> yeah, but like, spoiler alert. I know, right? <laughs> but like, what he said, he realized was that like it wasn't that Superman wasn't real; it was that there was nobody coming to save the people yeah. who lived where he lived that was going to help to lift them up from where they are, you yeah. know. You got to help and, yourself. And that's where he understood how important education was, you know, and so. Like, dude, these kids are so smart, and like, you you follow them through this documentary, and like, they just fucking deserve the world, you know. Yeah. And at the end, like, 
one of them gets selected yeah. in the lottery um and like one of them gets selected on the wait list and then a few days after the lottery you know they he gets a call and they say hey listen we redid the numbers and you're coming you know you're able to be here and like it's great but like one of the kids who doesn't get in it's just this little girl and like if you ever want to see a child's dream die, yeah. <laughs> watch the last name not be hers, you uh, know? And like, oh, it's so terrible, dude. Because she like wants to be a doctor and she's like first in her fucking class. Yeah, you know, if and you it's want like, it that bad, you should be able to get it. And it, and it sucks that you can't, depending on where you live right. or what your uh, kind of... Uh, parents kind of wealth is and all that i mean everyone can't afford to go to christian school or a private school we went to christian school and i think a lot of that they probably gave us a discount i I don't have but she still paid probably twenty thousand dollars a year for the three of us to the point where she didn't before i mean public school you don't pay shit so and we lived half a block yeah from the our public school yeah we could walk we could walk in i walked in second grade our uncle was the principal yeah yeah so it was like so the other thing too is is that it also takes um, like an educator's you know like standpoint as well, mm-hmm. and so there's this like fight going on between like the teachers' union and people who mm-hmm. like are trying to create change, and so there's this one woman and I don't remember her name, but like she's like a representative in Washington D.C. and she wanted for tenure to kind of go away and there to be like a merit-based system where like if you have tenure, you make like $56,000 a year, you know, but if you go on your merit, you can make like $140,000 a year. Tenure seems like a racket to me, man. And so they show what happens. There's some of these teachers that have like things that happen to them where like, you know, either there's an altercation with a student or something like that and they get like suspended and they go to this like room and it's just a room full of people and they just sit there and they're on their fucking phones or they're on the internet. A lot of people checked doing, out. You really need to have teachers in there that want to be Yeah, there, no, yeah. and I mean, and it shows like, you know, when they have movies where they spoof like the public school system, yeah. it's actually fucking like that. Remember, you the, know? remember like, um, I think it was season three of The Wire Yeah, when mm. they had the school system. Remember the Prez right, right. guy that sh- the one that shot the guy in season two it by was accident. Four. I think that was season four. Was season four? And uh, yeah, they, but then they selected those th- yep. four or five kids to do the, the highly motivated the program. But just to show stuff. the difficulty, yeah. you know. I mean, think it, about it. Kids put up with bullying. Like, now they have school shooting. School shootings. School, I mean, yeah. they, oh, have, yeah. they don't have time to learn even in a good yeah. environment. Right. They, the harassing they get from other students. And, and you constantly hear those stories about the teachers who have to buy the uh, the education equipment themselves yeah. out of their own money yeah. so for them to be able to Crazy. get it. That's just, that's insane. And yeah. now we have the worst, like, education secretary. Yeah. Well, was there, there was a good bumper sticker I saw. It said, Devos. Uh, it said, someday... Man. The Navy will have to yeah. hold a big sale yeah. for their ships. And yeah. Schools yeah. will get whatever they want. Or something. Right. Yeah. I think I saw that. Um, <laughs> really great. Yeah, but I mean, you know, and that's the whole thing is like uh, they're just trying to say like, look, our fucking education system is completely. It should broken. be like France. It, is. it should be like France. Everything's free. Yeah. Higher education we come from is free. France. 
Yeah. <laughs> we really are behind Can't the eight ball in a lot of different kind so of much areas stuff, and programs in this country. As many great things and opportunities that we do have here, then you hear about uh, like France and Spain and all these places that really put a high level on education, on healthcare system. Yeah. If you're yeah. highly educated and you don't have to worry about healthcare, you will There's a, be that much better than everybody else. Yeah. There's a university in the Czech Republic. And Oliver Stone did his online documentary series that was like 10 episodes. Yeah. It was fascinating. Whole thing's fascinating. But that one episode where this a place in Czech Republic, you can go to college for free mm-hmm. from if, from any, any country. So there's like half a dozen Americans nice. that oh, went wow. over there that getting a free college education, living on... It's the- great, man. I mean, you offer those things, you're going to get people moving in that type of area. Yeah. I think of like uh, on that same kind of uh, thought... Uh, a documentary that's not on here is that sicko documentary at the very beginning where the guy cuts his finger off and they tell him at the uh, hospital, well, uh, I think he gets three of his fingers cut off and one of them to get it sewed back on will cost him $2,000, but the other one will cost him $10,000. So he had to choose which finger to get sewed back on. I was like, that is just friggin' ridiculous, man. Come on, where man. It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping we're going to... Uh, have so, changed so any documentary like that yeah. that can come out there's so it's much just, wrong with this country helps. yeah and i don't want to get on a soapbox but that's there's downside to capitalism and, and it's hard for me to say that right. out of my mouth because i <laughs> went to business school and i'm a big proponent of capitalism right. but you could just be a little less greedy you could right. still be super greedy yeah. i'm telling you but just and, be a little less greedy and that's at the end there's there's one point that um the woman who's the representative in DC that she says is like you know unfortunately all these you know people say that they care about the children but when it comes time to it like they just care about themselves and how much money they have and yeah. what they want. And like you said, it's just a greed, you know, and it's like, oh, yeah, we want our kids to have all of this. But no, no, no I don't want to give any extra that I'm already, you know, and yeah. it's just it's I mean, if up, you man. offer free health care and free education throughout college and everything, you just got society is just that much happier and they have that much more money to spend exactly. on other things. It yeah. seems like it would balance itself out perfectly because a lot of people are unhappy because they have to worry about paying that. Uh, I, I know for me, I know the fourth week of every month is going to be a tough week yeah. because I have a crazy health care uh, thing, which I use once a year maybe yeah. for a checkup. Yeah. But I still, you can't go without it. Yeah. I mean, what like, are you going to do, go without it? In, yeah. in Norway or Denmark or one of those countries, um, everybody gets 1200 bucks a month from the government. Yeah. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Basic. They're starting need. to talk about that here, like a they, minimum. I think they're doing it in a county in California right now. Oh, really? Giving everybody $800 and seeing a month That's and awesome. seeing how it improves your That's life. awesome, man. Interesting. It would, it's got to improve your life, too. Because I mean. think about it. If I give you $800, what are you going to do? Yeah. You're going to go spend it. Right. Which boosts the economy, which creates jobs. I mean, that was what the 80s was based on. That yeah. whole decade was based on kind of, uh, we'll give you shit molds of money and everyone will spend it. Except pe- corporations are greedy and now you got people like, uh, what's his name? Amazon, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. yeah. That with more money than he would ever be able to count in a lifetime. Yeah. It's ridiculous. All right, Dave, what you got? All right. That was... Gets, that stuff gets. Yeah, I was about to. Get, <laughs> yeah, I was no, about man. to get a little deeper, and then I. Yeah. was like, you know what? I'm going to stop we, right here because it could turn into a, the political <laughs> very easily. I'll let, let's lighten it up with a little police corruption. <laughs> <laughs> the seven five. I'd never heard of this. I, oh my god! I've seen it three times. Oh really? I, it's I, available. I, I can't on, wait uh, to see it again. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix or Hulu, but it's on one of the two. One of them. But I'm pretty sure it's Netflix. So basically, the 7-5 is a precinct in Brooklyn that 
was one of the dirtiest precincts in the late mid to late 80s early 90s mm-hmm. and uh it follows this one guy who kind of brought down the whole department michael dowd he pulled like a scorpio uh a serpico type of thing so it, I'll, I'll tell you this guy's story so um he got a reputation in his department as kind of being crooked. And he said he was crooked. They interviewed him. They interviewed everybody. Everybody yeah. was on it. Very mm-hmm. candid. Yeah, very candid. And he went to Congress, and they showed his congressional. Nice. And he was he was very candid then, too. Wow. Like, have you? Like, at what point were you no longer a police officer and you were a criminal? you got to love when people are fed up <laughs> like to that point. Like the day I walked through the door. Yeah. And <laughs> they, they had so basically he, it started out small. He would seize drug money. And he said it started out when he pulled this guy over one time, and he had like six thousand dollars or something in wads, and he had guns and drugs and everything. And he said, "Just give me some money, and I'll let you go." And, uh-huh. and he did. And he said that was it. He said then he started listening to Before calls, body cams. waiting yeah. for yeah. to go and rob people and break in and entering. And and they and so at in the beginning they he couldn't find a partner to work with him anymore. Yeah. But he finally found this one rookie cop who hadn't taken a dime yet, and got him in on the. Damn. On the detail. Yeah, and man, it just you got to destroy someone else's life. It gets more man. spiraled and spiraled. They, they talk about going to, to Atlantic City when they'd get big scores and they'd clean the money. Like they went to a drug dealer's house one time and they found a duffel bag with money, like $20,000 or something. Mm-hmm. And then they like call one of their other friends who used to be a cop, had him pretend to be a cop after they left the apartment and go back in and steal the... So they didn't log it under, oh, gotcha. under evidence. So then they're all partying after that. And then... So things were going poorly, and then they got worse because they decided to help out a local drug dealer. Yeah. You can't get away with they this were giving forever. Them, they know? were giving him police yeah. escorts, like unusual uh, suspects. They damn. were in- intimidating and arresting his competition, and they were getting 8000 a week in 1986 Fuck. or 89, mm. right around. And, you know, they were helping them find informants and would hand them over to him so that would get executed and they had a drug deal the, the drug dealer they were doing it for got served time went back to Puerto Rico but they had his entire interview and he's like Michael Dow was the biggest gangster I ever knew damn and he just he was a gangster he said everybody that saw him and then they they showed how they captured him they had him on federal surveillance and they got arrested and it was crazy the arrest was crazy hmm made the news lots of other people got but then and i'll spoil this one but then there was even a crazy thing so when him and his partner were out on bail uh michael dowd got a call from one of the drug dealers and said hey um help us kidnap this woman and she's got two million dollars in her apartment and 40 kilos of cocaine and we'll keep the coke all you got to do is kidnap the woman and bring it to us. They, she ratted on them and they wanted to. And kill he'll her. keep the money. Is and he gets was, to yeah. keep the money. And he, he calls his partner. He says, "You got to help me do this." He's like, "We're on fucking bail, dude." Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, "You got to help me. I think I'm. I think I'm gonna run." Yeah. He said, "And if I have two million dollars, I think I can make it." So. Jesus. So, his partner ratted him out. Ooh. Damn. His partner went to the feds. So he probably never saw that they coming kept, either. They kept the ruse up. Yeah. They changed the woman in the apartment to a cop. They wow. were going to knock on the door with flowers and says, whose woman isn't going to open the door for flowers? Yeah. So when he picked his he picked his buddy up that day, they told his wife, get your bags packed because they're going to go into witness protection as mm. soon as we arrest everybody. So they went down the block where the woman was supposed to live and he turned the Dowd guy turned on the police scanner and they were talking about 
busting boxing him, him in yeah busting him yeah so he took off and he's like how do they know he's telling his partner and he's like i don't know i don't know damn and he, said, he dropped me off at home he's like and then he asked to come in and his wife had all the bags packed by the front door. Oh, shit. So he said, when I heard the wife, they interviewed the wife. They interviewed all the wives and the girlfriends. It's very well done. Doc. Damn, it sounds, it sounds really, really good. Yeah. yeah. But they're like, they're like throwing their suitcases in closets. And she's like, I wear my hair in the shower, pretended I was in the shower. And, and wow. uh, it culminates to him getting arrested a few minutes after that. And uh, he testified. He only got 12 years. Huh. That's wow. racketeering Amazing. and hundreds of millions of dollars well, he, he helped the he other was, guy make. He was a cop. This is why cops should get paid more money than they are to kind of. If you paid them higher, dude, I saw this thing like a couple days ago. It was a comedy sketch, and this guy was talking about crooked cops, and he goes, "Man, you know, if they gave you a reward, cops would start turning in other cops." Yeah. And so he does a skit where he's dressed up as a police officer, and like they plant some drugs on some guy, and so he arrests the cop instead, and his captain comes up and just gives him a stack, like $10,000, and he just starts snitching on all these other cops, and he's straight balling, and his girlfriend's like, I found your drug money, and he's like, I'm not dealing drugs. I'm snitching. (laughs) And his girl's like, you snitching? He's like, yeah, she goes, Y'all hiring? <laughs> and so then they both start snitching? Oh, my God. It's so this? fucking funny. It was just a random comedy uh, thing I saw. If I see it, I'll send you the I, link. See, it this is so funny, dude. A documentary like this is one of those ones that puts thoughts in my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, what would I do? Mm-hmm. I would be a dirty cop, man. You'd like to think you'd get away with it, though, but then... I would people- be... I would do... I would like to think that I would peel off some money off the top and that would be the extent of it. And still good, do good, you know. Do, I would do still more do good, good than bad, but, but still, you know. I want to. I need a thirty percent pay rate. Yeah. See, from what I hear, cops don't do well in jail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They don't. See, I would just do do well either. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I would just end up letting too many people go, and they'd just be like, "Look, dude, your arrest rate is yeah, really yeah, low, like, Justin. You've got a zero percent yeah. arrest rate. You let that murderer go last <laughs> month. Like, we got to talk. Well, seventies and eighties is probably when you could get away. The seventies and eighties probably when you could get away with this, but body cams yeah. and like hidden oh nowadays yeah. it's, you're not getting away with anything no. which the is only, kind of the way it should be if, if you're not if you're out in the world you should always assume you're on camera you yeah know? oh yeah you, you got to and it's weird when people will you'll see these uh cops now like pushing these kids like i seen it with teenagers like the 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 cop that works at the schools and every smashing kids heads against the concrete. You don't think you're being filmed by the 30 students that are around you? Yeah. Like eight of them get they're, their cameras on. They, they don't walk even around with the, their cameras trying to yeah. find shit. Yeah, they don't absolutely. even look at the camera though. They don't even look around, you yeah. know, they're just doing horrible shit and yep. expect to get away with it. They can't. So, all right, I'm going to lighten this up a little bit here. Uh, <laughs> this is an, uh, Justin did a, a music kind of a documentary, and I'm going to do one here. And this was a really fabulous one. They, they did a great job with this. And this is 2004's Some Kind of Monster, which is the Metallica documentary. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting. Such an amazing documentary about Metallica. And this, this could have been done all about their life before. Uh, or why they were re- super famous and everything during the Cliff Burton ages. I- I've always been a Metallica fan. Dave's been a Metallica I fan. I think it was pretty brave of them to to show the realness. Yeah, well, I think they a didn't lot all of that, come across as no. And as well, being I think rock a lot gods. of that. Hmm. A lot of that came because of the age they were when they did this. If they did it earlier on in their career, they wouldn't wouldn't even allow it. They would probably – it would be a completely different documentary. But So what's going on with this is 
this was after the Black Album. They've they've already been like a sensation and everything. And what they're doing is they're all like they're older now. They all have their individual problems and everything. So they have this idea that while we're doing this new album, why don't we have a psychologist kind of I, travel I, I us think around? They needed one. And they did. They never got along with each other a, a lot. You know, uh, Lars was always butting heads with James Hetfield. Uh, uh, what's his name? Kirk uh, Hammett. Kirk was, Hammett the, was probably the he only was the most normal, laid back one. Normal uh, laid back one. Them. But it, they this centered around right when Jason Newstead, who was their bass player, left the band. Yep. One of my favorite things later is with a nude bass player, and I'll yeah, talk about a, that in oh, a second. Yeah. It's a re- really phenomenal part. part of it. Yeah, it really wants you to put yourself in that kind of situation, but. It's really great where they show their kind of creative process through the whole thing and how they're butting heads. And the psychologist is getting them to do these great exercises and everything. One of the uh, great things about it is when uh, anyone that's familiar with Metallica knows that Dave Mustaine, who is the lead singer of Megadeth, used to be with Metallica when they were super young. But like young people in a band, he was kind of out of control and everything, and they fired him. And he had to go on, and he went and did Megadeth. But that always had stuck with him. That worked him. out for him. <clears throat> it worked yeah. out with the way we think it is, but when you when you hear oh, them talk to Mustaine, he's it's like pissed. it's... It's like he shat all over Megadeth. He he's like, I know a lot of people out there think that I've gotten some level of success with this, but he says I can't walk down the street without people screaming, "Oh, Metallica and uh, Megadeth sucks and this and that." So there's a great scene where they bring Lars to talk with Dave Mustaine this many years afterwards oh, wow. and everything, and they kind of break it down and he. Uh, Mustaine's like, I don't think you realize what I have been through in my life, and I still carry this weight with me, but. Lars is like, you know, I hear you say these things, but there's this part of me that doesn't, I can't grapple with the concept that you aren't embracing how uh, how great Megadeth is as a band and this and that. And he's like, yeah, he says, but he's like, I screwed up. I, uh, this is Mustaine saying, and he says, I realized as a little kid that I screwed up with the band and uh, I understand how you guys kind of uh, kicked me out, but it, it says it still hurts and everything. And you're, you're getting to see uh, there's certain stages of the documentary where they thought the documentary was just going to shut down yeah. kind of how like the uh the icarus one was because uh uh hetfield went into rehab and everything and they would come back together but my favorite part of this documentary and i was saying it is uh them looking for a new bass player at some point they get real serious about it they actually kick out the psychologist at some point because oh, wow. he, he gets a little too comfortable with the band uh-huh. and everything and he they kind of get the idea that this guy is like taking liberties and he, he thinks he's part of this band now uh-huh. and they think they got as far as they could like he with came <clears throat> meetings and would be talking about stuff that had nothing to and do with like them. giving lyrics to them to put in the stuff and they're like oh you know, wow this is yeah. part of what you're here for so yeah <clears throat> they do it in a nice enough way where they just kind of kick him out but <laughs> well, uh, there's the door uh, yeah <laughs> but what's amazing about this is they show them auditioning different sing uh, bass players to replace Newstead, <laughs> and it, it's great because they show this guy used to play with Ozzy. And did this they guy show used to play with Claypool? Uh, who's this? Les Claypool. Did they show him? I don't think so. He he tried out for them, and Les Claypool talks about it. I, mean, I saw him in something else. See, I saw him in a fishing guy? show. Yeah, he's yeah. the Primus guy. Uh-huh. He was in Fishing with John. I don't know if you've ever seen that documentary i don't think i have it's like five episodes of fishing with famous people and you don't know about this huh. maybe I, like I think fishing maybe with I've john seen one i think of them. is the name of it that actually i think i have maybe anyways he fishing. talks about he said i auditioned for him and they were like man 
you got your own thing going on. Yeah, oh, he's a special <laughs> kind of bass player that does not he really go play with Metallica. Yeah. He's above that, uh, really. And so they were looking for a specific sound, but it was really great watching these guys audition for him. And uh, they're they're really paying attention to one guy, and I can't remember his name. It's like Danny. Was something. he from Slipknot? Guy? No, he was from Infe- oh. he was from Infectious Grooves and Suicidal, Suicidal Tendencies. Tendency. He had played for Ozzy for a little bit. He opened and, for them when, when I saw them in Tampa. Yeah, yeah, he, he's really he's still with he's still with them right now, and uh, what was great is you're watching him play Metallica songs, and then you get to see the band go back and they're talking. He's like, you know, when he's playing that, he's like, it's like Cliff Burton was back with the band. He's like, he was flawless. It's amazing. We really like this guy. So the most amazing part of the documentary is where they bring him in and they they sit him down at the boardroom table and they were like. We love what you're doing. We love what, how you you could really add a lot to this band, and we really appreciate you coming in. And to show how serious we are about you becoming part of Metallica, we're going to give you a million dollars right now. Damn. And you get to see the emotion just <laughs> go over this guy's... He's like... He's, he's running his hands through his hair. He's like, he cannot believe that. I'm sure. It, it's amazing that they had it. Do they, it to me. Watch my reaction. Yeah, yeah right? They were literally <laughs> documenting this guy's life change. Yeah. And they really got enjoyment out of helping this guy. And right from that point, they show that. And they threw him into the fire, basically. They show him going in for the photo shoots and everything. And basically, Some Kind of Monster, the name of the documentary, became the name of the album. And it was it was a decent album. It was good. It was decent. Uh, I, I liked several songs from it. For me, as a Metallica fan, I didn't like much after the Black album. But from the, I liked Kill Em All, Ride the Lightning, Master of Puppets. Master uh, and of the Puppets Black albums, they all oh, awesome, awesome uh, CDs, man. I, I just kind them. of moved on from that music after the Black Album. Yeah. I, I went more listened to indie rock like Smash. See, I've always and, stayed like and Weezer and stuff like that. Super chunk. Anyone that knows me, if I'm listening to music in the car, it's almost always Iron Maiden or Def Leppard. I, for some reason, I can every once in a while. I can't 80s, put anything else. Every once in a while, eighties. But those bands, those are my two favorite bands, and I, I'll listen to Iron Maiden all day long. It will never get old to me. But Metallica, my cousin's a huge Metallica fan. Every time I go up north, these. What Metallica album you want to put in? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been on like an oldies kick for like the last two weeks. Really? Yeah. What's I should branch out. What's more oldies about? to you? Um, like 1950s. Oh, oh cool! Yeah. Wow, that is oldies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I was listening to uh, Sleepwalk because of the La Bamba reference, ah. and then from that I went to like some Sam Cooke and then cool. some. Uh, Charles Bradley. Yeah, there's a lot of good music documentaries out there. It's Charles uh, Bradley just did a remake of it. It's either Metallica or Megadeth uh, Changes. Changes. Well, Changes. The Changes I know is David Bowie. No, I, I mean, it was like a... Changes. No, um, I'm not going to sing it, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a sad song, but it's beautiful. But it's, huh. it's either Megadeth or Metallica that... Uh, What's the one Metallica song that's kind of a Whiskey little low? Uh, Fade to Black. Oh, Fade, Fade to Black. Black was probably their lightest song that they did. Well, then it's a couple of the black ones, Wherever I May Roam, and stuff where it's a little bit lighter and everything. But I always I could stand Kurt Hammock's guitar oh, man, solos. He, he's phenomenal. Really, when I when I lost it for Metallica in my head was when they started doing oh, the... Uh, black Sabbath. It was Black Sabbath, yeah. okay. Uh, is when they did the... Uh, what's the uh, Bob Seger song oh. that they did? Oh, it's so lonely on the road. Oh, God, they played it on the radio the all the time, and, I couldn't and I'm stand not a big Seeger fan. <laughs> I'm not either. And I say that to people, and they look at me like it's exactly the same way. Well, not exactly the same way. I also am not a big fan of the Beatles. No, see, I, I love the Beatles. 
Mm. I'm looking at you that way now. There's a couple <laughs> of songs that I think are great. Um, <clears throat> um, back in the USSR. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Awesome song. Yeah, a lot yeah. of good stuff. But, but yeah, Some Kind of Monster. Check it out. Really good documentary. All right, well, All right, Justin, what you got? Um, we'll stay with. I, I got nothing but music. Oh, left, you got another so music? I, I didn't know two you had more. Yeah. Got, See, I didn't. I only know the title, so I didn't know a lot about your stuff. Yeah, um, and this one actually is a little throwback to like the seventies. Uh, this is Bob Seeker. Search- it's a documentary. Yeah, about yeah. <laughs> Searching for Sugar Man. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah. Have have uh, is this never heard of it? This isn't the Robert Johnson one. Uh, that's actually my other one. Okay. Um, this is uh, like the Cliffs of Dover, Robert Johnson, or that's no, no that's no, Eric blues. Johnson. No, we'll yeah. get to that one. Okay. Um, Don't jump. In. Yeah. This is uh, I think his name's Rodriguez. Um, that's he's just the Sugar Man. Yeah. Exactly. Latin right? music. No, um, he's um, like American, like seventies. Uh, you know, like he. He was at one point was going to record... Does he have a song anybody would know? Sugar Man. Oh, that's the song? Yeah. yeah. Um, so basically... Sing it. <laughs> Sugar Man. <laughs> oh, I go. know it. I love that song. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, so basically, he in the 70s was like supposed to be with like you know, Jimi Hendrix and like, you know, on the level of like the Mm. Stones and the Beatles and like Bob Dylan and stuff like that. Like he was supposed to be that person. Everybody was supposed to be by who? Well, and the the thing is, like, (laughs) is he telling you this? No, no, from those people. Oh, you know what I mean? This guy's the next big guy. Yes. He had demons? Well, no, like, um, he he lost his way. (laughs) he, He was super talented, but so he, he recorded two albums and they just didn't sell. Like, mm-hmm. he just didn't do well, and so they just were like, I don't know what's going on, you know, but, like, you're not selling, so... Wrong time, we, wrong place. We gotta move yeah. on, you know? Um, his record out... Uh, his record agency just, said this? Yeah, you know, he just... He flopped, um, and he didn't sell, so... That's usually a sticking point with them. Yeah, yeah you know? Um, so... <laughs> so weird like that. We like yeah. it. Yeah. But here's the problem. You don't make us any money. Yeah. It costs us a lot. Um, and so basically, like, he gave up on music and went and, like, did construction and, like, eventually became, like, a janitor, you mm-hmm. know, um, for, like, the next 20 or 30 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so unbeknownst to him and, like, anyone he knew... Some of his records made it over to South Africa. Interesting. And this was this was like he was a Grammy Award winner, and he didn't get the award yet. Almost. Um, <laughs> and so, like, I guess this was during. Oh, that would piss uh, me off. Yeah. <laughs> I think Buffalo Bills are over there are great because they all have the winning championship yeah. shirts. Donated yeah. all the, they donate all the losing shirts. Yeah. They pre-printed. <laughs> <laughs> Man, those Patriots must suck. We never get sick. Yeah, I know. I don't know. Well, who is, it's, um, what was Weisberg's band? Asshole, Asshole Parade? Parade, yeah. They actually... Oh, no, not... not Rich Haggard's band. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Black Snake. No. The one, bef- yeah. the one before that. Um, yeah, God, he'd be mad if, he, if I forgot the name. <laughs> Anyways, they had, they had one song that did well in, in Italy. Yeah. And I know that's kind of a cliche. But they actually went over there and did a show, and cool. lots of people showed up. It's oh, weird wow. how different countries like different music yeah. and different things. So yeah, so take us South so, Africa. Yeah, so basically, and I don't know much. You would definitely be good to talk to because I'm sure you would know more about this than I do. But like the white apartheid or oh, yeah. and like all that going on at that time, yeah. um, the, the top the four percent of the population ruled. But but you're black. But you're black. <laughs> <laughs> he is. Yeah. I am. That's why I want to go sell that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so 
Nelson like, Mandela, yeah. you know, was kind right, of right. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. Of yeah, I just Matt. when it comes to something that important to history, I don't like to assume that I know what I'm talking mm. about because I don't. Um, so basically, his music became like the voice of a, a large group of people there. I think it was predominantly. Paul Simon was another big one. Oh, yes. Yeah. It changed his music when he came back from a visit there. Yeah. I mean, he went he to got, the Graceland. He was on, and not to go too far off, but he, they had, a, U.S. had a ban. You couldn't go to South Africa hmm. and do anything. There. Oh, wow. And Paul Simon went and recorded an album there. Like, anyways. Huh? And anyways, and when he got back, they were like, hey, there was a band, and he's like, really? Either didn't know it, or it was pretending he didn't know it. Uh huh. And it was, it was almost like he wasn't going to be able to release the album or something. Huh. But right, that's another documentary. Yeah. So, um, it, the, his music becomes very popular over there, but it must have blown his mind. He doesn't know. He still doesn't know. Nobody tells him. <laughs> they made the documentary. They still haven't told him. <laughs> well, no. I mean, like, um, so the legend of him becomes that he dies. You know, oh, and really? so. Everybody Not ever that, having known no, about that, right? Oh, and so, oh, like, so, so there's this whole movement of his music going on during this whole time, um, and these two like music historians. Did his heirs get a bunch of money? <laughs> nobody got any money. Nobody knew the the it's record. Label. Like Project Threshold being huge in Korea, we don't even. What? Know. Oh my god! Yeah, that'd be crazy. <laughs> That's why our pod's so huge over there. Um, yeah, and so like. You know, the record label, I guess, like sold rights to his music once they became popular because what happened was is everything just got dubbed. Every, yeah. You know, it just got recorded over and over and over and over again. Um, and eventually, I guess, whoever he recorded with like sold the song rights and it was a very like shady thing mm -hmm. and nobody told him. So he basically was just like a poor custodian. Yeah. And like one day people wanted to find out like how he died and what happened to him. So these two guys started searching for him the documentarians that do the film yeah. well these are the two guys that found him and then somebody was doing the documentary about him yeah. and then included them in the documentary that's cool um and so like basically right when the internet started they said that they were the first ones to ever put the word rodriguez on the internet um, and they had a picture of him with a milk carton, like mm -hmm. on a milk carton. Oh, you where know? is this guy? Yeah, have you seen him? Do you know him? And his daughter saw it and huh. called them and was like, "That like I'm this isn't a joke. That's my dad. Like you know, da 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 da." And dead. yeah, well, and he's not dead. <laughs> yeah. And you know, like oh, he wasn't dead. No, he wasn't dead. He was working at a janitor in like Detroit. You know, like you know, just living a poor existence. Yeah. So these people come and contact him and tell him, like, dude... We're working on movies about you, dude. Yeah, like, you are a <laughs> this fucking... This sounds great. I, you are this, a fucking icon oh, that's crazy, to man. South Africa. So... Was like, he on camera when they were telling him this? I think maybe <laughs> he like, was. I'm not I sure. I hate black people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, that's so fucked up. We're going to have to end this joke. No, 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 that's um, not my official no, stance. Uh, I'm I, making I, a joke. And again, I won't, I won't assume at all. Like he, He's... Not, <laughs> he lives he, in Detroit. I'm he's sure he, not white. <laughs> you know, I won't assume anything. He's not white. Um, and so, like... Um, so... They tell him about this, and then they tell the people of South Africa, hey, listen, not only is he not dead, we've just decided to bring him over here to do, like, five fucking concerts. 
and has he been still playing like on his spare time? Well, and stuff yeah, like that? yeah. yeah you As know, a janitor. I mean, he's still jamming at home and everything. It's well, not like he hasn't touched a guitar or something. I don't. I, I don't believe so. Was he? You a, know. Was he a singer or a guitarist? Or he did uh, both. 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 He yeah, like yeah. Um, and like, I mean, they set these concert up so quickly. Like, I, I think it must have blown his mind. Oh yeah, and so he goes there, and like the whole fucking country just goes crazy for him. That's insane. Um, yeah, dude. I mean, I'm gonna j- watch this one, dude. Yeah. Such an incredible, incredible story. Um, like, yeah, that's cool. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'll definitely check that one out. Searching for Sugar Man. I think that one might have won also won an Oscar also. Everyone should see all these documentaries. I mean, oh, yeah. they, all, they all sound phenomenal. The ones I haven't even heard, I definitely am putting on my list. The 7-5 one. Yeah, that one sounds, sounds really, really good. good. All right, what do you got, Dave? Now, this is something from our childhood, uh, for sure. And that is Perfect Bid, oh. the contestant who knew too much. Now, I just this watched this the other day. It's about I, really great. Price is Right. Yeah, anyone who's a fan of Price is Right should definitely see this. Oh, because not only did it tell this amazing story, but it, it showed you a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff yep. that you didn't know about. And they uh, they talked to Bob Barker, who they interviewed him for. I, a I long didn't know time. Bob Barker was still alive. He didn't know he was still alive. <laughs> in the documentary, which was a couple of years ago. He was like ninety-four, so he's like ninety-seven years old now. Damn, and he looked he looked old. No, nope. I mean he looked really old. I'm not sure I, I've heard of this. It's really great. It's I a short heard, one too. Had, it's like a hundred. It's like no, an hour and ten minutes. An hour and ten, or ten something. minutes long, and basically it follows this super fan. Oh, I've seen portions of this. Have you? Yes, the super fan that was a math teacher. Yeah. that was really good with numbers and memorization. Liked to make lists and memorization, and he was such a fan, and he wanted to go on the show that he started cataloging prices. Mm-hmm. And the way you get on the show is you write and you get to be a contestant. Row. Well, not you, you, you show get to be up. as yeah. part of the audience. Yeah. And if they, they pick you, they put you in the audience. They'll yeah. interview you before as you're coming yeah, in the door. So and... he knew all the tricks to get picked, and they show him in the audience probably in the first part of the movie yeah. at least a dozen times. Uh-huh. And what I think he had been on the show 36, 37, times 37 times before yeah. he got picked. Yeah. 247 toothpicks. <laughs> <laughs> so what he was doing is, you know, the people help. You turn around when you're on contestants row. You've yeah, seen yeah. This show, Numbers I'm are being assuming. shouted out. Yeah. And yeah. Assuming you've seen the prizes right. I am well versed. Because okay. some people are like, I only like Wheel of Fortune. Or I only like Jeopardy. Because <laughs> yeah. this we, was we the grew, daytime. We grew up watching. Oh, this was the daytime. Yeah. I used to one. play sick from school just oh, so I could watch yep, prizes. Absolutely. Right. I wouldn't play sick just for this, but I'd always watch this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Every time it was on. I liked the, the little mountain climber. That oh yeah, yeah all dude. those games. Plinko. Oh, Plinko. Yeah. But anyways, so he was yelling out exact bids yeah to contestants row for those showcase not some people showcase were ignoring no, but him but the other people were listening to him yeah. and he was he was dead on every time dead on. 14, to the point 26, where he 14, where he knew like all right this is a refrigerator that. but there's three models so i've got to uh-huh. i gotta listen to the options and once he hears the options he, he knew exactly what the price was that, what, what did it for this guy is his memorization he had a brain yeah. which he knew the numbers and yeah. he could recall them like now, that you know I did I, I hate to sound like an asshole did he sound like talk kind of goofy no 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 he was very okay, uh, well then I, then I think I've just seen another contestant who might have been in a similar situation um go no, ahead. he was just yelling and then at one point um Bob Barker one lady he helped a couple of win the, yeah. their initial showcase, not showcases, but their initial, what do they His call it? His name was Theodore. Uh, Theodore. Like, and he's like, you see, he helping you? He's like, yeah. He's like, what's your name? He's like, Theodore. 
And uh-huh. he kind of worked him into that episode where uh-huh. he's like, oh, he Theodore's mentioned, out there. Yeah, and he mentioned him a bunch of times, yeah. but then he did several times later. And then what got him on the show is he made up a shirt, and this was funny to me was because funny. I was a huge uh, The Barker Beauties. Uh-huh. I was a huge fan of Holly yeah. uh, back, and she she was the brunette with the curly hair. She, super cute. He, he made a shirt that says, I'm here to kiss Holly or something like that. Uh-huh. And on the back of it, it said, sorry, Bob, or something. Because he realized he had to like gimmick. do something. Some you need gimmick. a gimmick when they're interviewing you, and maybe yeah. they'll pick you and everything. And eventually... Eventually, yeah, he got on. Yep. And did and he win a scooter? Was that the no, first thing? I don't think so. I don't think okay. So. All right. Um, I think it was a desk. Was his first or something thing or like something. that? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, but he na- he got the exact price. Yep. So I think he won the hundred bucks. Because yep. he's like, I didn't realize I had to. He's like, he realized he had to give the hundred bucks back. So when they went to commercial, he held the hundred bucks out for the PA because they'll give and you a like, check later on. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I've, this isn't my first rodeo I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, they knew him. The producers and everyone knew him because he had showed up so many yeah, times. Right. And he yeah. helped a lot of people. Of so the the only thing that kept him from going yeah. to the showcase showdown was the wheel. The wheel. Right. Is, yeah. Is literally the most chance. The yeah. Only anything. thing that he can't control. Right. Really. And, yeah. And that he didn't get to the the showdown. Mm-hmm. But and you well, you're only supposed to be on there once. Uh-huh. And and so I think he stopped going. When Drew Carey took over, they changed, they changed the, rules. the rules. And that you, it could be 10 years. 10 it's years been of, 10 years you could come back. And I think oh, it had no been shit. 10 years so he started going back and he was still helping people. Well, he got one dude down to the final showcase showdown. Uh-huh. And had boat or car. he's doing this in his head. He's yeah. doing the math in his right, head. Yeah. He said 27,743. Yeah. And they they cut to commercial, and Drew Carey picks it up here. He's like, we we're freaking out because he guessed it perfectly. They show him. Holy they fuck. show Drew Carey on the documentary talking to Kevin Pollack on Kevin he's Pollack's like, I'm podcast. Lose my really? job. Yeah, he's, and they're very I'm... candid about uh, about we were freaking out. Yeah, and how the fuck? How many? And Kevin Pollack's like, how many times has someone hit the exact number? He says, never. Yeah, no never. one's hit it. Yeah, ever. And people he, he says people are freaking out. Usually, yeah. it's like they go to. Because they see the numbers, so the people know already that he's hit it before Drew reveals. Right? They yeah, got a commercial absolutely. Right when they give, yeah. they both give their absolutely. And Theodore in the audience knew something was going on because he was watching the line producer and everyone. He could tell there was they were freaking out. Yeah, and uh, and you could see the guy that the guy that won. You could see him looking out in the audience, like, and then he makes his bid. But then he claimed he did it. Himself, he researched it. And oh, so he completely kind of screwed Theodore over. The and fuck, everything. And it was, dude! It's shitty, see man. him mouthing the numbers back, to which the is guy completely the different than some of the other contestants. He helped wow. the other, like that one kid, Brandon, that he helped was so thankful, and he hugged yeah. him, and he got his information. I want to keep track with it, yeah, uh, with you and everything. And uh, this guy really helped me out, and so everyone was. And that guy could have easily done it. I, yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know why he tried to take credit for it. They're not going to take your winnings away because you listen to some random guy in the audience. Yeah. I mean, well, he also helped another that one woman that kept saying Theodore help me Theodore yep. help me she got to the showcase showdown and she didn't listen to him yep and he had the exact number for that too so it would have happened earlier oh wow so basically is I mean he, there's nothing illegal about it because yep. you're allowed to yeah, give it no, the yeah. documentary was more you're, you're starting the documentary and you're thinking oh he's going to get on the show and he's going to do all this but it was more him helping other people right and he had no problem he was very excited to help other people and everything yeah and it what was great about the documentary is they were highlighting him in the audience. You could see they, they the documentarians highlight him and they show him over there and they pinpoint his voice and you hear his voice shouted out and everything. It was, it was really Holly, great. Though. He did get oh, a kiss yeah. from Holly. Yeah. Yeah, they they showed awesome. that on live TV and Bob made a joke Drew out of it. Drew Carey was like, they were, towards the end of the interview, almost to the end of the movie, and they're like, 
yeah, he just knew all the prices. He's like, it was the producer's fault. They didn't change up the prizes enough. Yep. He's like, I can guarantee you now that I'm here, that'll never happen again. Yeah, they completely yeah. changed yeah. it. They, yeah, they, they completely changed. They'll make up a price. Or they'll just do different items. They won't do or the just same make items. Up, or make, just change the price so you, you can't. Like every time, yeah. it's just. I mean, price. some people break the system. I mean, it's very similar to that guy from Press Your Luck who memorized the sequence, you know? Is it the guy at the top there? Yes. It is him. Yeah. I got uh, a picture on here, too. Okay. Uh, no. No, I'll show you him right no. here. It's this guy. Sorry for the delay here, folks. Oh, yeah, no, that's not him. Yeah. That's a different guy. Definitely watch this documentary, though. It's really great. It. It's, sh- it's short. It's like on Netflix and it's on Tell uh, us the Amazon. Tell cl- about Prime. the clip with your buddy. With uh, oh yeah, we were watching we were watching it, and I was like, we were talking about famous moments on uh, on Price. I'll talk about right. the other one. You talk yeah. about this one first. Well, if anyone knows who, I would assume most who people doesn't? know Breaking Bad. Uh, even if you're not watched the show, Aaron Paul is one of the main stars. Other than Brian Cranston, there's Aaron Paul. He plays Jess, super famous because of that show and everything. And there's a famous clip where he must have just been a young actor in Hollywood, and he went out on uh, Price is Right. And you get to see him super excited. They, really? The clip, yeah. You pull up Aaron Paul, uh, he Price is Right. He, no, he gets he down went, to the showcase, yeah. and he both of them go over. And he goes over by like 300 bucks. No, and, $132. Yeah, $132 oh, he wow. goes over with, and you see the disappointment on his face. He just can't believe it. Because it was a sports just, car. Oh, oh man. It, and, man, he, he lost on it. So well, it was fun to watch. Well, he's got it now. But Dave had a clip that My he favorite. Clip, and that wasn't the one we saw, but the one we actually saw that I like is uh, dealing with the wheel. Four, three contestants go to the showdown. I saw that. They each hit a dollar. Yeah. Then they have to go to the second spin. Yeah. Two of them hit a dollar again. Again. Yeah. In a, in a row. So yeah. it was the first two. So it was five, and it wasn't dollars. Those yeah. first three spins were like sixty and forty. Right. Twenty-five and seventy-five. It yeah. was like. One hit was fifty and had to get fifty again. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. If you were the host, you gotta be like, "What's going yeah, on?" Yeah, absolutely. Here, because <laughs> I remember when during the documentary when it when it happened where they hit that money. Drew Drew Carey was says he says I think I just got fired. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that I just screwed yeah. something up and yeah. I had only been on the show for six months and they're gonna fire me and everyone's freaking out and no one that it's very clinical how everything goes and they could tell the frustration that was going on. Even when he announced it, he wasn't he wasn't as excited. Was you would think, yeah, you would think it's you the first just time. History. Yeah, no, he yeah. was like he's very monotone. He, led, he you got it exact. Off. Yeah, exact. and yeah. then the yeah. and it was like, what the fuck? Why isn't there more celebration? Yeah, yeah. The one that I saw, the guy that I was just showing you, he is just like he watches Prices Right every single yeah. day, and he like remembers stuff, you know. So he finally gets on, and it's a scooter, and everybody's coming along, and he goes nine hundred thirty-three dollars, Bob, and Bob Barker is just like totally surprised that he just knows, yeah. you know. And so he wins, and he comes up, and he shakes Bob's hand, and he's like, now, how did you know the price of that scooter exactly? And he goes, because I told you, I watch this every single day, and you just had this on here last week, and I remember it's $933, Bob. Like, you know, and... It wasn't a clue to the producers to change that shit. Yeah, they did it all the way in He won the game, too, and uh, he got all the way... I don't know if he got to the showcase or not, but, like, he knew everything exactly just from being a super fan. Like, it's crazy. That's basically the story of this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my wife watch. She is a huge Wheel of Fortune fan, and she should be on the show because she is so good. All she does is play Scrabble and everything, so she knows that type of game set. But uh, there's a million-dollar wedge on there, and if you land on it and you get to the final thing, they will replace on the big wheel. They'll replace the $100,000 with that million, so you have an option to be able to win it. Uh, No, you just, instead of the $100,000, you you get 
you'll win a million dollars. And twice we've seen people do it. Oh, wow. And it was one that was really amazing. And unlike the uh, uh, Price is Right, it's like fanfare, confetti, balloons everywhere. People are freaking out. And it was this one, the one, the great one was this uh, woman who was just got engaged. She was like 23 years old and she won the million dollars. And you could see Pat open it and he was, and he was like, you just won a million dollars. Wow. People are freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Every night we're waiting for that to happen again. And it's very rare that I it like, happens, like but that. it's, it's happened saw, twice. We've seen it happen twice in like the 14 we years. We were huge we've been game watching. show fans growing up. And they I had love. some cool still, ones. They had the, um, the dice game. Yeah. They had oh, the, yeah. the whammies. Remember that? Uh, press your luck. Yeah, right? That was another luck. documentary yeah. where that guy memorized the sequence. Yeah. And he took them for so much money, man. Stop. Yeah, <laughs> it's like no whammy, no whammy. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> let's move on because I know uh, time is pressed for Justin here. And uh, <clears throat> this next one for me, this is one that we're all familiar with. And you would think, unlike these other documentaries that brought about so much change, like Supersize Me or uh, or Waiting for Superman, that kind of brought spotlights on these things. This unfortunately has not, and it. It's a damn shame because it was such a great documentary, and this is 2002's Bowling for Columbine. Oh, wow. You would think after this documentary, gun laws would be kind of tight, and it would be everything's all right, and it's just gotten worse and worse yeah. and worse than what it was then. To, you know, to be honest, I, I don't really remember. I know I've seen this one, but I don't think I've seen it since like 2003, 2004, yeah. maybe something like that. I, I think I saw it tw- at least twice in the theater, it maybe was great. three times. It was done well. Yeah. A lot of people don't agree Michael with this Moore. guy. I, I love Michael Moore. I like his documentaries. He did Sicko. He did Roger and Me. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, he obviously he leans left, but he's he tries as best he can to just bring the facts to it and everything. I love the way it starts. Do you remember the way Bond Gone By starts? He's going to the bank, and they're yeah. like, you want to open get- a new account? He says, yeah, I want the account where I get the free gun. And apparently this, and the woman's like, we at all times we Texas. have over 500 guns in our vault yeah. to open this new account and he literally he signed the account he deposited his $500 or something and he walks outside holds his gun up and yeah. it starts the documentary <laughs> and it really just giving guns away at the bank yeah. it just true. talks about the gun culture you and know how easy it was and, to get and how uh how is America so violent and people are saying, oh, because we have so much more guns? And he's like, that's not true. I mean, look at Canada. Canada has more guns than anybody mm-hmm. and they don't have this rate of violence. So yeah. what is it? You know, and he's he's trying to dissect these different things from it. And me and Dave personally have always been around guns. Our, our family, our father, our grandfather, they were big hunters. We were not hunters. We're more pacifists and everything. But I love target shooting. I love uh, target shooting. Nothing, and I'm, and I'm great at it, you know, and, and it would be... Uh, I, I, I couldn't kill a living thing, uh, for sure. I'm a huge animal Unless lover. Trying but to kill me. I <laughs> I enjoy target shooting and everything. But the idea that these guns that are out now, these AR-15s, these these semi-automatic to fully automatic guns, that they're not needed, man. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Any military style weapon is not needed. It, and I I've said this before, and I told my wife if they did not fix it after Sandy Hook, they weren't going to fix never, it. They're never going to fix it because if you kill a bunch of kindergartners and then they. That was for me. That was the most horrifying uh, school shooting ever. Is Sandy Hook? It's just it's horrendous. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the Stoneless Douglas one comes. It's it's oh, it hits home just because my wife is from that area and she knows people that have gone there and everything. And it's it's really really bad. But Michael Moore really broke it down well, where he's he's going to different people and he's talking about why they think this is. And he goes up to Canada and he. He, I love the scene where he just starts opening people's doors. Do you remember that? Yeah. He wanted to show how, 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 
how they, they live in a different culture up there where they're not concerned with what we are here. They don't even lock their front door. So he'll open the door and they'll be sitting there. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know anyone was home. And he's like, that's all right. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, do you remember the cartoon that he played in the middle of the movie? It was so great where it takes you through the years of uh, of gun culture and everything. And it's really funny. And they, uh, they're talking about uh, white people go over to Africa and they take the slaves. And the slaves are, at some point, they, they don't want to be slaves anymore. And then they make it legal for everyone to have guns and the white people freak out and uh it, it's really funny how he adds a little bit of humor in some subject yeah, that is very dark cutting cutting in the preparation of the columbine shooters yeah and was, that's how it that's the last third of the movie that in the uh what's the guy from ten commandments uh oh uh Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. And he at took some an point, interview. Charlton Heston took an interview. You with kind Michael of feel Moore. bad for him yeah. at, at some point, just because he's just this like old man who you know. But he was the head of the NRA, and NRA is From my I, cold dead hands. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> and it's it just recently in the last couple of weeks, it's coming out that the NRA is really oh, struggling with money and everything. And their lawyer the fees are ridiculous. And it's 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 ridiculous how. We're the only country, like with that school shooting that just happened, or that shooting that just happened in, uh, was it New Zealand or Australia? New Zealand. And they passed Christchurch. They passed like the strongest gun law. Yeah. Nine oh. days later, it was like nine days later. We're we're banning this and we're banning Australia that. Australia did the same. When, yep, they did the same thing. When that park. Yeah, that one guy who was walking through the was, park. Yeah, he was in. He went to this like. It was like, it was a, like a monument. No, no, that's, oh, that one's that's a different. In Norway. That's yeah, Norway. That's yeah, in Norway. Yeah. He set a bomb off. Yeah. The documentary for that one is crazy. Yeah. He set a bomb off downtown, and while they were dealing with the bomb and everything, he went to this retreat on an island with teenagers, and yeah. just it was horrible. Just walked around killing. Everybody. It was like forty or fifty Jesus. people he yeah. killed, and it, it's just horrendous that we cannot get a hold of this thing. It is all because of people's. Uh, the wheels are being greased within the Congress. They, yeah. you know, they're coming out with these numbers that Marco Rubio's taking five hundred thousand a year from the NRA, and this person's taking that much money. How, how do we not have these gun laws? Well, it's right there. It's yeah, obvious like, why. You know, how do you every third lobbyist? How do you disarm Chicago? I know it's. You and, know what I mean? Well, like, that's the problem. The problem I is, think, is you can you can get a gun at a gun show. Without showing an ID, yeah. without doing our, a our mom, track. our mom has been to a gun show, and she says, she says you wouldn't believe it. He says a lot of the booths that they're they're vigilant with sign this, sign that, we'll so do a background in, check. But they were people that came up to my mom and my stepfather, walking through the walking audience. through. Want to buy a gun? I yeah. got guns here. You want so buy a gun? in Florida, <laughs> there's a loophole. I don't know if they fixed it or not yet, but in Florida, there's a loophole that if you're doing a private gun sale, there's no background port, uh, report. Yeah, they call required. it the gun show loophole. Yeah, gun right, yeah, exactly. So that's when you when they have the gun shows around here. Yeah. That's I mean, that's just people just selling their guns. Like it's private sale. I don't have to do that. Like I think they said there's in the last. What was it? The last month, there's been 19 shootings. It's, own, it's just insane. What I is own, it going to take? I own a gun. Yeah, I have a and, 223. And I think that's what a lot of the the right wing gun nuts and the NRA thinks. They love to push that idea that the Democrats want your guns. They don't want your guns. They just want gun control. You know, yeah. no one has a problem with you having a rifle or a pistol and defending your house and having right. it there for defense. No one has a problem with that we're talking about these insane guns. Clips. And I get it. I get that it's fun to go out there in the field and shoot your machine guns oh, and everything. It's fun. I've shot a machine gun yeah. before. It's, it's freaking great. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> but if I knew that it would save children's lives and it'd make this country safer, take them away. I don't give a fuck. Yeah. I said, use some skill. Use a scope. Use uh, just a regular rifle if you need it for target practice or home defense. And it, it pisses me off, you know, but... 
I mean, what can you do? Yeah, We're just going to have to wait and see. Eventually, they'll come around, but I don't know when it's going to be. You would think it would have been when that uh, that guy in the Senate was attacked the baseball game. Oh, He's yeah. one of the biggest guys who was against gun yeah. control. That I mean, he was shot. Well, she was on the other end. She's she's so for uh, uh, gun control. So it, it's really it's crazy. But it's a it's a good documentary. Yeah, absolutely. And, and he does. Add a lot of uh, comedy in with a difficult subject. I think that's a, a when he lot went to Walmart. Him. Yeah, when he's going to Walmart. How easy he got a shotgun at Walmart. Well, they it's crazy. They raised their age to twenty one. Good dicks. You know, Quit dicks did something. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And that's and they've lost. And, and that's what it takes. You know, and that's, but see, that's like well, that's what it's going to take. Yeah. It takes take a moral stance. It takes yeah. big corporations. Over, I mean. yeah. That's why I love, and it's not dealing with guns, but with, uh, and it's, it hits home to me because my wife deals with, she works for a nonprofit for, uh, for against smoking, but it takes places like CVS who say, we're not going to sell it here. We're a friggin' pharmacy, yeah. which is what it takes. Why Walgreens is not on board there? And people think, oh, CVS is going to take a hit. No, they went up. Mm-hmm. Their stock went up, and they made more money that year than they did any year. Right. People, because well, they're next door to each other, and if you know that exactly. one is doing. That's what we do. My wife is like, if we've got a choice of the two, we're going to CVS. That when you're all like, oh my God, Walgreens is going to move across from CVS. They did a study that when the two are together, they both make more money. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. sure. McDonald's and Burger King, man. Yep. All right, go for it, Justin. Number ones. All right, this one was really interesting. Um, This one is about uh, Robert Johnson. The uh, blues players from blues player from like the 1930s. Yeah, uh, I have seen some of this. Okay, yeah, it's called. And uh, I knew about him a little bit. Already. I don't oh, know you? anything. Like, educate me. It's called Devil at the Crossroads. Um, so basically, there is very little. Like it's like two photographs. Of- yeah, um, two photographs and a few recordings that he even like. I mean, he's got kids, but like, you know, that he even existed, you know what I mean? Like there is just no records of him or anything like that. And he grew up in Mississippi and wanted to be a blues player, but he just wasn't very good at the guitar. Um, And he would try and go into like the juke joints and stuff like that. And this back in the 1930s, the blues was considered like the devil's music, you know, Um, hop. You think blues, you think the heroin addicts, you know, and uh, well, I think what jazz Miles singers Davis when I think heroin addicts. Mm-hmm. I think blues singers, I jazz, think. yeah, I guess you're right. I guess it's more blues, jazz. I think drunks for some reason, yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting because um, he died drinking some, uh, <laughs> drinking a bottle of whiskey that was poisoned. Oh, uh, really? So that's interesting. Yeah. Tried to make homemade. So this goes through his entire life from like just how he got it's the account of what history they can find and know of him yeah. and the um, and the idea behind that title well is, tell the is, interesting yeah. tell him the interesting part. yeah because so, he was a terrible guitar player according to that's what i was gonna or, say yeah like uh, so he wanted to be this blues player but he just wasn't good <laughs> you know um and he went and he tried to go and get with like people to teach him how to do it and everything and like they you either have it or you don't i guess right and so like eventually they were like look just get out of here like you're not going to be a good blues player like you just don't have it you know um because he had these really big hands and long fingers so it was really difficult for him to play yeah right um so it was difficult for him to play so he left and he disappeared for like a year year and a half and then just one night he just walks back into the same place where these guys had kicked him out of and they were making fun of him saying man where you been and da 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 go and get out of here da 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 and he started to play for them and not only was he good, he was better than all of them. And like he was doing things 
that nobody even knew was possible. It's you crazy. know, like they said, and it's funny, I just because I wanted to hear, I listened to some of it on the way over here. His style is like it sounds like there's two people mm-hmm. playing separate guitars. Yeah. And it's just him. Like, you know that, and I, I it'll sound terrible that din 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 din. He started that. Like, you know, when when he played that, nobody had ever heard that before. And it was a slide that, you know, and like, oh, dude, so incredible. And so the story was. <laughs> what did he do? Yeah, yeah. Where has he been and what did he Steroids. do? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's this place in this town, and I'm sure there are many, you know, of the similar places. But there's this place in the town called the Crossroads, and it's where these two dirt roads meet. And the story is, is that he went there one night and offered his soul to the devil to learn how to you know play guitar and like he put his guitar up and the devil came and touched his guitar and you know purchased his soul devil went down no yeah no this is mississippi mississippi so did we ever really find out (laughs) if he really sold his soul where no where he had gone and how he had no one knows and he wouldn't tell anyone nobody knows i having learned guitar mm -hmm. very quickly after I really wanted to play, mm-hmm. I when I went moved to Port Charlotte after mm-hmm. I graduated from high school, I locked myself in a room mm-hmm. for eight hours a day. Yeah, and just practice. For yeah, years on end, and then I was good. Right, but um, I did sell my soul to be better at golf. Ah, <laughs> totally you are, did that. You are good at golf. I now. am. <laughs> better, I, should, I don't know if better I sold the does whole not equal soul. best. Yeah, <laughs> that's a, it's, be it's best. all in the details. If uh, Dave disappears on the pod one day, someone's coming. To yeah. <laughs> Um, and so, so, you know, he comes back and he's just amazing and, and, you know, nobody can understand why. And so there's this story of him doing this. Well, also what happens is, is in his life, he basically falls in love, has, you know, a woman who's pregnant, but then like she's taken from him, um, by her family. And then like, there's like a bunch of deaths that happen around him. Like, I sold everyone else's soul. Yeah. No, well, well, <laughs> That's but, how he got so good. But no, but basically. <laughs> Can you do that? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'll right? do that right now. I'd have already done <laughs> but, but basically what it is, is it's like every time he had a chance at actual happiness, mm-hmm. he would get right up to that point and it would just be yeah. fucking mm-hmm. taken away from him. A lot gotta, of people like that. Gotta enjoy the moments in between. Man. I suppose. I call them shit magnets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wait. Um, and so, uh, you know, there became this stigma attached to him, you know, that he had done this, but like Keith Richards is doing an interview in, you know, this uh, documentary and like all of these people are just saying like, when you go back to what rock and roll really was, you know, it was what he did and what he created Mm -hmm. when he came back from wherever he went, you know? Um, and then towards the end of the documentary, this is just really cool. Um, there was a big show in New York. Um, what's the Carnegie hall? Mm -hmm. Um, and it was supposed to be a progression of music from, it was like from the congregation to like the blues, you know what I mean? Um, and they had wanted to feature him in this. And so they sent somebody from New York to Mississippi to go and find him. And they find out that like, Basically, he was messing around with some mm. married woman, 
And that'll do it. That'll yeah. do it. And someone's gonna spike your fruit punch. One night, <laughs> one, your moonshine. Yep. One night he's sitting at the bar or sitting, you know, at the juke joint, and he's waiting to go on, and he's taking a break or whatever, and uh, he orders a bottle of whiskey, and they bring him over the bottle of whiskey, and the seal on the bottle was broken. And his friend that was with him, like, slapped the bottle out of his hand, and he said, uh-uh, don't you ever take, you know, a bottle from somebody with the cap being broken already. And he looked Which at Which is her, weird, because when you order a drink, you know, they're just going to pour it. So. Right, yeah, yeah well, he, but he <laughs> ordered, ordered a, a bottle. bottle. Yeah, yeah, you if you know, order a bottle, yeah. yeah. If you um, order a bottle, you drink too much. Right, well, <laughs> yeah, right? And he said, don't you ever slap a $7 bottle of whiskey out of my hand again. <laughs> And he picked the bottle up and he fucking started drinking on it. And within a couple hours, he started getting sick. And somebody poisoned him. And it took him three days to die. Ugh. So he died a fucking agonizing death. And apparently, they found out who did it. Mm. And they went and they just asked the guy. And he said, yeah, I did it. And because Robert Johnson was the devil's blues player, you know, and, and back at that time, like the church made it clear, like this is, you know, the devil's music. Nobody did shit about wow. it. No prosecution. Nobody, nobody even charged the guy. Like nothing. And, uh, but Don't yeah, I mean. Other people's. <laughs> That's the moral of the story. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just cool to have that Don't myth. Don't care much about the $7 whiskey. So yeah. Go. yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> um, but it's just a cool myth. And then also, like, you know, I, I didn't know anything it's about this history, guy. You know, a history lesson. About really, the, really cool. And so, like I said, I, you know, I listened to some of his music on the way over here. And, like, it really does sound like there's two people playing separate guitars. And he's playing them both. It's cool, man. You know, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Look this, look this guy up, too. Yeah. All right, Dave, what's your number one? All right, so before I talk about number one, I want to give someone a shout-out, because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't know as much as I know in life. Ken Burns. Oh, yeah. is If you don't know who he is, if you ever want to know everything there is to know about, about a, a subject, specific subject that he talks about, go and watch a, the 10-hour version of or whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, he does, let's, he does, he, he does Civil War, he did the baseball, he did jazz, he did, jazz, he did World War II, he did, he did Vietnam. II, he did Vietnam. All were he's really good. Awesome. Yeah, he's so one of the best documentaries. He doesn't do movies about. Uh, he doesn't do documentary movies, so I didn't think I was obviously. Yeah, get to talk he does. About him, but he, he can't talk less than twelve hours, or he can't <laughs> do a documentary lesson. Like I'll that. watch his ten-hour Civil War one. My mom loves every it too. couple of years. My mom loves it. So mm. good, and it'll be one of those long weekends yeah. that I'll just put a bunch of episodes on. And That's why I need to do when my wife's gone for two weeks. Actually, I should watch the Narcos while she's gone. Watch the Narcos. Yeah. Oh. You've, been, you've been trying to get me to watch it, so oh, she'll be so gone good. for two weeks. And so. you'll be like, oh, this yeah, is yeah. so good. I can't believe I didn't watch it. <laughs> so this next movie blew my mind when I saw it. Mm. In fact, I'd never heard of it at all, which is weird because it got some pop culture references during the time it was happening, but I didn't see it because it was the early 80s. I think this is called Three Identical Strangers. Uh, Have you heard of this one? Oh, I remember you talking about it. I, I, me and my wife watched it, and we were blown away. We we were not only blown away because what's great about this, and I'll let you do the talking with it, but uh, you're blown away when the first 15 minutes, but then like a lot of these documentaries, something happens like in the middle of it, you're just blown away again, and then mm -hmm. you're blown away again. Yeah. You're like, how deep does yeah. this go? Yeah. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. Um, the story starts out, this guy talking, and he's driving in his Volvo, to go to community college. Right. First year as a freshman. In the car, saying, you know, I get out. I get to this new town in New York City. I'd never been there before. He's like, I park my car, and I get out to walk towards my dorm. And he's like, all of a sudden, people are yelling, 
Eddie. And his name was, uh, his name was, like, it wasn't Dave. Like it was John Dave, or something Eddie. Like no, that, yeah. it was Dave, Eddie, and, God, I can't believe I forgot yeah. that other guy. I just, name. I watched it like a month ago. I can't remember. Anyways, his name wasn't Eddie. Yeah. So, yeah. And people were coming up and, like, he's just thinking, the these back. guys he are said, friendly, man. He said, yeah, he's, like, walking. He's like, wow, this is a friendly campus. Yeah. <laughs> like, girls came up and gave him a kiss. Yeah. And say, you know, how was your summer? He's like, oh, it's great. How was your summer? He's like, <laughs> playing back. Yeah. So he goes to his dorm. And all of a sudden, he's like, that was weird. And all of a sudden, there's a knock on the door. And the door opens, and he's like, Eddie, you said you weren't coming back. And he's like, why is everybody calling me Eddie? I'm not Eddie. And he's like, you're not Eddie. Was your birthday July 12, 1927 or something, or 1937 or something, yeah. or, or whatever it was? Right. Uh, and he's like, yeah. He's like, you got a twin. Uh-huh. And he's like, my but my buddy Eddie said he wasn't coming back. You're a splitting image of him. He like gets him in the car and they he drive. He says, get in my car right now. And they drive like two so, hours or something. So wait a minute. I, I have to figure this out because I'm confused. Is it like documentary? Like, are they reenacting this? No, it's and just it's him really, talking about it's it. It's just him telling it's the story. Just telling okay, the story. all right. So it's actual, we're not actually seeing it. Okay, yeah, all right. They did right. some reenactment, but not much. Not, not much. I got they you. Did it, most of this is through interviews. Yeah. Okay. So they're interviewing this one brother. Uh-huh. So he goes, he drives, and... He opens the door, and the other guy is identical. Yeah, I mean, and they like, have the same mannerisms, hairstyle, and everything. And then the the friend calls the paper, and they do a story on him. Lost brothers find themselves after nineteen years, yeah. and the, the surprise on that look. Yeah. So all of a sudden, it cut to this other woman, and she's like, "And I saw the newspaper when I was arriving on the subway, and she said I called up my friend, and I said, David, you better sit down." You got two twin brothers out there. That's so fucking crazy. There's a third one. (laughs) So fucking crazy. So crazy. And they get all three together, and you see them. They're on Sally Donahue. They're on Donahue. They're on everything. And they're loving it. They're they're famous. Yeah, they're talking. People are eating the shit up. And uh, come to find out. This is where it gets crazy. Because we knew this part. You knew this part. They were all from the same adoption agency. Mm -hmm. Like, who would separate twin brothers? Triplets. Triplets. They find out. They're part of a study that was studying the effects of of nurture versus nature and separating separating twins. Fuck you! At oh yeah, man. Birth. <clears throat> oh, and they really did it bad. to thirty seven different I sets would of twins and murder triplets. somebody. And then dude. they talked to a lot of the other people that were part they of the talked study. About the parents, dude, and I'm most of the mothers had yep. mental health issues, so they Ooh. sought out mental health mothers that were shady, tri- tried shady to, shit. It was dude. through this. Israel is Israeli or, or Jewish adoption agency was yep. arranging all this stuff, but then they had the doctor. They talked to the people in the studies, and they would go to their house and look at the kid. And the guys like, I'm asking the kid questions, knowing he's got a twin or triplets and two other brothers yeah. out there, and, and he's he like, can't, I can't say, anything. say anything to him. Oh. And he's like, and they find out. Then they find the twin girls that got yep. separated. They had the girls that were part of the study. They found these two girls. They both. They both liked poetry. They both went to film school. Yeah. They're the ones. They that were the uncovering all the ones stuff. that started doing the documentary. Yeah, it's the girls. But they just go through how much, like it and was one of one of the brothers is not handling the whole situation yeah. well. And uh, halfway through, they were in a restaurant together, all three of them. Yep. And uh, one of them commits suicide. Wow. Yep. And, because it just uh, got too too, too much. much for him. It to was bear. too much. 
And I guess one of the fathers who was kind of a mentor to all three had just passed away. And so he was kind of the bond that kept them all together. Yeah, and you got to see the different families that raised these kids. And one of them raised the kids like really well. He mm. loved these kids so one much. Was rich and too. another one was, was rich. And so he got a different life. And another one was kind of like he didn't care as much or he wasn't there as much yeah. as, as the other dads. And then a lot of when they got connected, the other dads basically like. Uh, kind of adopted them. They yeah. had them as part of their family now, and it so it was it was amazing, dude. Yeah. It was it was unbelievable. What because you thought watching this documentary, the whole thing is just about amazing that three twins got reunited. Then you realize that it was this big conspiracy that they separated them on purpose, and it was yeah, for this no, reason. If and, I find out, if I found out that like my life was a science experiment, that's exactly yeah, what it was. It was a science experiment. The and lengths that I would go to. The worst would, part is. The one brother, Never ending. one of the brothers found out that, um, I can't remember the, Yale? Yale. Yeah, okay. Th- th- had the study, and it was sealed, and they weren't releasing it. They never published the study. They did all this work, and they never published oh the study. My God. So they, they did it for did nothing. nothing. For nothing. At least like, if you had done the study, you could have said, listen... People are more nurture-based than genetically-based. It would yeah. still be bad to do this to somebody, but at it's least fucking it Fucking was... trading places, but in real life exactly. at birth. Exactly. Like, Morte, oh. Randy. <laughs> murder you both. Yeah. Like, oh, God. God yeah. It makes you infuriated. They, You're infuriated by... Especially when the guy kills himself, because you got these guys who are part of the study that, like... It, I hope this is what you were expecting because this is what happened yeah. now. And you well, guys think, inadvertently killed this guy. I, I yeah. think they were able to track down more people that were in there yep. and uh, found that several had committed suicide. It's crazy, man. It's, it's such just, a phenomenal documentary that everyone should definitely... Of all these documentaries, you, check you should check it out. you weren't part of this study? I know. <laughs> Not funny. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it was it was phenomenal. That was a, definitely a documentary I recommend. I probably watched it and I probably texted you... You you 30, had 30 watched it on the plane. Watched. You watched it on the plane. Remember when you got home? I picked, yeah, that's I right. picked you up to get your car at the airport, right. and then you were like, "I remember being in the front of the house, and you were telling me about it." And I was like, "Oh shit, we got to see that." And then they they aired it for free on like PBS, so it was it was phenomenal to watch. All right, I'm gonna go to my last one here, and it, no better way to finish this documentary one to do one on a filmmaker. One of my favorite documentaries. I watched it twice this week. We watched, Me and Dave watched it yesterday. Twice this week? I, that's dedication. I know. I love it so much. It's called Corman's World, Exploits of a Hollywood Rebel. Man. Oh, nice. It's all about David uh, uh, Roger Corman, and it is so freaking amazing. It's good. What's amazing about this documentary is how famous he made everyone that was part of uh, Roger Corman's world. They're more almost so more than famous himself. than he is. Yeah, right. Each it, it, individual it's true. one. <laughs> it, because just to go through a couple of people that got famous because of Roger Corman. Stallone. You got uh, Stallone. You have Martin Scorsese. You got Francis Ford Coppola, Robert De Niro, Jack Nicholson, uh, William Shatner. Uh, just the list goes on and on and on. You would not believe the people that came out of the Roger <laughs> Corman school. And basically, Roger Corman's idea was. Uh, character doesn't matter. Uh, story doesn't uh, story matter. doesn't matter. What matters is getting it out there for the cheapest price. And uh, Jack Nicholson, they interview all these famous people in the movie, and it's really great, especially the Jack Nicholson yeah. interviews. He was they not talk to kind. Or he, or he explains to him, and you could tell that he really loves Roger, though. And he Roger started his career. Jack Nicholson had done like 15 movies with Roger Corman before he even got famous. Oh, wow. And... Uh, 
and the reason he got famous is because Easy Rider came out. And uh, Roger Corman, this was one of the movies Roger Corman didn't produce, but he... Uh, let them use he, some of the cast. He let right? he brought all these guys up. Dennis Hopper, Peter Fonda, all started with Roger Corman. So they it was called this Corman School of Acting, basically, or, or filmmaking, mm-hmm. where you you put stuff out really quick. Money matters. Even Jack Nicholson was like, if you don't understand money in the film industry, it's like being an artist and not understanding paint. You have to understand how, how money works and how to get around things. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interview. One of our he, strong seats, I have to say. <laughs> It is. It is. We were able to uh, stretch money and be able to really use time management really well and when get we were people doing to do stuff. stuff for us for free. Yeah, and that's lot. that's basically what Roger Corman was doing, you know. And uh, one of my I never felt like I was exploiting someone because they joked about it being. Yeah, exploited. Paul Bartel was completely like uh, Roger exploits filmmakers. He exploits actors crews. and and crews. But along with that, we exploit. Roger, right. you know, we're all exploiting each yeah. other to be able to come up with a different thing. And listening to Joe Dante talk, it was really phenomenal. He was like, he was like, he had certain notes that you had to make. You need tits in this uh, in this area of the movie. You need people with guns blowing uh, people away in a foreign country. In this, and he says, if you hit all those notes in the film, he lets you do whatever he wants through the whole thing. It just what was phenomenal about this is just hearing these actors and the love that they had talking about them. Even the actors and directors that didn't work with him directly like uh paul uh anderson who was who did the uh resident evil movies and event horizon or eli roth who grew up uh making those movies uh quentin Quentin tarantino Tarantino. because this is all very similar to the resurrection of jake the snake this all this all worked up to him getting his honorary oscar for a group of people that could really give a shit about him in the first place Mm -hmm. like he was trying to avoid them his entire career yeah i know very similar to like george romero who george romero was always notorious for saying i I don't like hollywood i just like to be on the outskirts and do my thing and that's kind of how roger was he made a career out of it where he's still doing stuff he's there's a great moment where uh he's doing wild angels with bruce dern and bruce dern uh is watching roger work and he's like roger let me ask you he says he says, how many movies? And this was early, early on in their ago, career. From when the uh, movie was made. Well, no, it was uh, it was short. Remember when Wild Angels, he had only been working for like five years. And he's like, Roger, how long have you been? How many movies have you made? And he's like, this is my hundredth. And he's Jesus. like, what? This is your hundredth movie? And I think right now he's at like 400 movies that he's produced. And he's helped people make. <laughs> That's and insane. He's developed all these stars and they've all become famous. You think Martin Scorsese. He got Martin Scorsese started with uh, Boxcar Bertha. And Martin actually brought Mean Streets to Roger, and Roger was during the black exploitation phase, and he was like, you know, if you could swing this black instead of Italian, you might have something here. And he's like, nah, I kind of want to do my own thing with it. Mm-hmm. And so Martin uh, goes on to do his thing, but he used the Roger Corman uh, crew to be able to make it. So they all have him to thank my, for it. My favorite part was when he's, Jack Nicholson's like, uh, Roger came up to me, and he said, hey, the set we're using... I got access to it at night too. Over the weekend. Over the weekend, he's like, "Let's make a movie." Huh. And he had called up somebody, had them Dick write, Miller. He got write Dick a Miller in. in a couple of days, yeah. and they did. And, and Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson. Like to this day, I have no idea what that movie is about. He says, "I, <laughs> I challenge people to tell me what that movie is about because there is no plot. There's nothing there." <laughs> and uh, there's a couple great quotes in it. One of my favorite, and I'll, and I'll talk about, it, is uh, Ron Howard. He got Ron Howard's career kind of moving as a director uh, after Happy Days and everything, and he he gave him the movie uh, Grand Theft Auto. 
and there's a great moment where Ron Howard says, I got a call from Roger once, and he's, he's like, Ron, Ron. He says, you're not going to believe it. We just sold Grand Theft Auto to CBS. And, he, and, he's, and he's like, that's great. He said, we just sold it for $1.3 million to CBS, which is an insane amount of money back then. And he's like, that makes your uh, your 2.5% look pretty good. Fuck and he's like, yeah. it makes my 9.75, uh, 97.5% look goddamn wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where he exploded, and he started doing the black – all the black exploitation movies with like Pam Greer. Mm. Great interview with Pam Greer. Pam, <laughs> Pam Greer is talking about Roger could sell you a glass of sand in the desert, yeah. and he, he'd tell you it tastes good too. And he's and Pam Greer is looking at her hand, and she's like, "Did I just buy this bottle of sand from Roger?" <laughs> <laughs> and everyone's got these great, funny inside stuff where Jack Nicholson's talking about him doing LSD because he produced. He let Peter Fonda do the movie The Trip. And uh, Roger said he didn't think he could do it without actually doing acid himself. So Uh Roger talks about his acid experience. And Jack Nicholson had bad acid acid experiences too. And uh, Jack Nicholson's like, I never did it for fun. He's like, I only did it for research. He's like, I had a lot of friends who did acid for fun. Mm -hmm. He's like, but the idea of like facing god at, at, for fun he's like no i don't think so <laughs> but then they, they're like think. so we got him an expert and then they cut to fucking uh what's his name uh, dennis, dennis hopper, hopper. Dennis yeah. hopper. <laughs> i'm telling you man yeah. it's just it's so amazing fractions man yeah. fractions. so they're showing clips from like uh from piranha from uh, rock and roll high school from uh uh, all these great humanoids from the deep. I just love all these kind of cheesy 70s and 80s movie. And it's it's crazy how his career goes, you know, where he... Uh, another interesting thing was he created New World uh, Cinema, which was his production company. And along with one on one side doing these 70s movies, he ends up doing... Uh, he ends up making a shitload of money by taking foreign films and uh, distributing them over in the state. So he's taking the best... Filmmakers yeah. from out of the countries like Fellini, uh, Truffaut, Bergman. Uh, uh, Ingar Bergman, uh, Kurosawa, and he's like distributing all their films yeah. in like uh, the like uh, drive-ins and stuff, and no one had ever done that before, so he made a shitload of money through that. Yeah, man. but they, at the same time, he's making you know this crazy humanoids from the humanoids deep. From the deep. Yeah. He's doing a Fellini movie. Yeah. He's looked at his high art compared yeah. to the lowest because he could care less. He does this. Don't as a call business, his movies you know? B movies to him. He uh, hates that. It said the only movie he ever lost money on was the Shatner movie, which was probably the best, deepest movie where he yep. was exposing racism in the South. And Shatner played this right-wing uh, racist who came down the South who was stirring up all this racism problems. and everything. They were having problems during production. Yeah, they were like, it was they the, called them they were, communists. It was in the and 60s. They, were, they had to move hotels. Oh, wow. And it was a phenomenal. If you're a filmmaker or if you like film, you have to watch uh, Corman's World, Exploits of a Hollywood Rebel. It, it is absolutely phenomenal really a phenomenal watch and it's uh it's a perfect to kind of end on this documentary segment because uh roger corman really started what we know as these great filmmakers who's won all these oscars and he's really made their careers for him so definitely check it out yeah that's it for documentaries hell yes i I have a feeling we'll come back and we'll do a part two of this one time because literally there is 87 episodes i mean there's so many yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) Episode 182, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll revisit this. So, um, Yeah, I think that's it for this week. I know Justin's getting his shit together. He's got to go to work. So. I to go. We're going we're gonna to wrap this shit up. So if you want to get a hold of us, you can leave us a like you or know a it. comment. <laughs> on SoundCloud and iTunes, that's where you can get a hold of us. Check us out on Facebook, Fascinated with Films, or you can
can send it, shoot us an email, fascinatingwithfilms at gmail.com, and we'll get back to you immediately. Let us know what documentaries you like and what we should check out because Dave will be on it, man. He's yeah. he's definitely I'll FaceTime uh, with you if you give me yeah, a FaceTime you give him a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, next week I think we've got uh, oh we got like one of the more modern ones coming yeah. up next week. It's gonna be fun. We're gonna modern do action. Uh, I don't even know how to say it, like twenty tens yeah, modern action. It's it's weird how we you know we, we say the eighties and the nineties, not until it comes to the twenties and the thirties. You can again. say the aughts. The, the aughts. Is, is that what it is? Is two thousand to two thousand nine. We did that one before, so this I is know, this that, is twenty ten. I don't know what this. Is. This is probably called the, the, the tweens, tweens, the tweens, tweens and the, the teens. teens. So it's going to be uh, the teen from twenty ten to twenty nineteen. So basically, for twenty ten to present, we're one year action, short, man. Action know, movies. Right? So uh, if you're a fan of the, that era of this last ten years, action movies is a lot of really good ones, man, and it's going to be a really uh, fun one. So definitely join us, and we can uh, entertain you with some of the best action movies that have come out in the way kind of uh, digital work has done they're really uh, next level so uh, definitely tune in next week hell yeah we will be here to entertain you so till then see ya peace bye sugar man that's what I'm talking about <laughs> <laughs>